Previously on Sideburns and Cigarettes, we took in the majesty of the Lupin the Third pilot film, watched part one stumble with a less than great start, became pals with Pycow, tried to define what the hell a witch is, and successfully escaped from prison. Then we did some other stuff, including covering part six. But now we're going back to part one. But first, we're going to do a little recap. Doing this recap, our beloved witch, Drew. Hello. Fake priest, Emma. Hello. The woman they call a magician, Natalie. Sup. And the tickle torture technician, me, Chris. <laughs> They're totally going to accept you at Cat Club. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I came up with these names. It's my own fault. It's okay. <laughs> they will love you at Cat Club in San Francisco. <sighs> Good to know. <laughs> uh, illustrious titles all around. Yes. <sighs> And Thomas. Of course. Hello, Thomas. He says hello. <laughs> and I'm also saying hello and welcome to Sideburns and Cigarettes, a loop on the third podcast, a podcast about a monkey faced thief, his friends and their many adventures. We are covering all of the animated and live action entries of the, of the loop on the third franchise in mostly chronological order. And speaking of that, today... We're getting back to actually covering the series in chronological order, as we've been busy with the mostly part as of late. With Emma joining us as a co-host since the last time we started going through part one, episode by episode, we've got a, a bit of catching up to do. So, on this episode, we're going back to the very beginning of Lupin Animation, the pilot film, which has a brand new HD restoration. And then, we're going to revisit the first four episodes of Lupin the Third, part one. Now... It's been three years since we first talked about the 1969 pilot film, so let's do a brief recap of who's involved. Um, so, directed and supervised by Masaki Osumi, and written and animated by Gisaburo Sugi, Yasuo Otsuka, Sutomo Shibayama, Jiro Saito, Toshiaki Imaizumi, and Osamu Kobayashi, with a score by Norio Maeda. So, brief roundtable of uh, reactions here, and obviously we're going to start with uh, Emma. How did you feel about the pilot film and specifically the uh, the brand new restoration of it? I mean, I'm always a big fan of restoration um, projects, especially being such a huge supporter of discotheque. Uh, I, I don't know, like, I like the pilot film, but it's not really something I often go back to. It, it just doesn't have the same appeal to me as much of the other series does. And I think a big part of that is that, I think a big part of it for me is the voice actors being so different. And I'm so used to hearing uh, specific voice actors all the time. And then when you mm -hmm. don't have that in the pilot film, especially the pilot film being something that I approached later, it, it just is something, again, like I just don't really go back to as often. It's not that I like don't like it because I do it's just I I don't really have a strong opinion on it uh mm -hmm. either way um so I guess that's really all I got to say about it restoration though is beautiful uh I do love that um and always appreciate any good restoration work that is done uh that doesn't destroy like film grain or anything so mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what I got 
All right. So, uh, Natalie, how about you? I mean, I'm on the same trajectory as Emma in terms of like how the restoration um, really took care of the pilot film, gave it that really like crispness when you watch it. Because for me, the first time I ever watched the pilot film was on, oh God, on 420 frames per second on YouTube in 2007, 2008. And it didn't bother me because one, this was in the era where like 480, 720 was like the norm, but also it it was something that was made in the early 60s. So I didn't expect it to be like, like. At least the way that the remaster takes care of it. I'm also mm-hmm. like, um, for me, I don't go back to the pilot film regularly. I like it as like what kind of launched the Lupin series, especially because mm-hmm. part part parts of the things that I like about it is that it takes a lot, obviously, from the manga. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's not really my thing. I don't watch it as often as I would like to. Um, but. Again, I like it as more as like a footholder in the history of Lupin than it is something that I really do enjoy. However, the remaster does make it a little bit more enjoyable for myself. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's that. (laughs) Chris, how are you feeling about it? All these three years later. I still freaking love it. I mean, like, yeah, there's not a whole lot to it. But I think everything that is there is absolutely solid. And it's kind of neat to... uh, look at like an alternate timeline where, you know, this was the direction that the uh, franchise ended up taking mm-hmm. because if memory serves, this was, this was supposed to be a pilot for a uh, film series, right? Yes. And they ended up becoming a TV series instead. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've always thought it looked great. You know, this remaster, especially, you know, they did an astounding job of translating monkey punches, late 60s style into uh, animation. Mm-hmm. For some reason, whenever I think about the pilot film, I think about that gag early on when after Zenigata learns that Lupin is outside in the uh, phone booth, you know, the officer tells him that they trace the call. Mm-hmm. Pops goes rushing out the door with the officer <laughs> following him and he just slams the door behind him, smacking the officer in the face. It's just, like, I don't think I ever noticed it the first few times I watched it, but I can't help but see it now. It always cracks me up, but, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's great. It's like, I kind of wish, uh, you know, more stuff would take inspiration from the pilot film. Mm-hmm. But I understand why it didn't go that way. But yeah, I love it. Always have. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to echo, echo the same sentiment there. And also, I'm, I'm going to preface it like because I know there can be a sentiment of like all new Lupin stuff is bad. And I don't think that there's a lot of new Lupin stuff that I like really adore. I actually did a Twitter thread on that recently of like all the stuff from the 2010s I love. But man, going from like mainlining part six again to watching the pilot film it was like a little oasis of joy of like oh yeah i forgot like lupon can actually be genuinely funny because like specifically that gag you highlighted of the uh the cop getting the door slammed on because i love the detail of him like the door slamming on him him being dazed and being pushed along by the other officers who are like going down the stairs and like I don't know, like, obviously there is, like, a lot of humor in Lupin stuff, especially, like, you know, part four, part five, and some of part six in the Koike films, but I don't know, like, I saw a little bit of, there's a documentary called Yasuo Otsuka Joy in Motion. I couldn't find the documentary itself, but on YouTube, there is a streamer who, like, played it with, like, his camera feed covering most of the screen, you can see the subtitles, so that way you can, like, get away with, like, at least 
getting the gist of what they're saying. And like Yasuo Otsuka talks about his involvement with the pilot film and how they like religiously studied Monkey Punch's artwork and like drew out his designs from like every conceivable angle. So like every shot like they would make, like it would just have that look and feel to it, like from any angle they drew it from, which is like a really interesting detail. And also the fact that they went back and also studied like more Drucker's work, like specifically, because even Yasuo like talks about like how more Drucker would draw something, how Monkey Punch would draw something. And they like kept that in mind too. And like with the new remaster, like obviously you could tell it before, but now that you've got that crisp detail of like all the line work and like the wrinkles in the clothes and all the little facial expressions, like, like I'll agree. It's not like one of my most favorite things. I don't revisit it often, but when I do revisit it, I just kind of fall in love with it all over again, just because of how fun and very much like the manga it is. Like it's probably like a small handful of entries that are like the closest to the manga, which is really fascinating to see because you don't see it too often. So yeah, I don't know. Like there's not a whole lot to say that we haven't said in the last episode or said before, you know, but like it's enjoyable. It It was a nice, it was kind of refreshing to revisit it. And kind of like got me in the mood to also continue on to part one afterwards. So, yeah, I, I realized I also didn't mention the restoration restoration much. Like, it's gorgeous. I didn't realize that, like, like all of, well, no, I didn't realize. But it was just nice to see, like, oh, yeah, this thing has film grain. And, like, the, the one on the original Discotech DVD, like, the colors are kind of muted and darker. And now it's so much more vibrant and colorful, which is also nice to see. And I'd also like to see that more in Lupin. Part six. <laughs> I love part six. And I love part five, but sometimes those series had like kind of the monotone thing going on, which yeah. did work. I'm not going to like criticize too much because like when it was used, I think it was used effectively. But like, I also like how part four was kind of the most like vibrant and colorful thing. And I'd like more of that. That's also just me with just also cinema in general, y'all. Colors exist. You know that, right? Vibrant no, primary with- colors. Well, this is why I love Bollywood films, because Bollywood films are just super colorful and, you know, they're so bright and kind of in your face that it just it really does um, make make what you're watching pop and more interesting Mm -hmm. and pretty. Um, Moulin Rouge is kind of the film is also kind of in that same vein, but also Baz Luhrmann was very much inspired by Bollywood films, um, mm-hmm. at least at least when it came to the film. And the musical, the only color, because I saw the musical recently, the only color that popped was red. And it got to a point where it was just like, I see red everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to point out uh, that, you know, going back to the time of colors in the pilot film, you know, this is definitely a product of its time. Mm-hmm. And what yeah, I feel definitely. The, best, the best possible way. It's like this thing is just so incredibly 60s and I feel like enhancing the colors the way they did kind of gives it a bit more of a like 60s pop art mm-hmm. uh, aesthetic. Yeah, definitely in the vein of Andy Warhol, totally. Mm-hmm. Right. I also feel like pointing out that the thing I appreciate most about the pilot film is that this feels like a uh, an old school theatrical cartoon. Mm-hmm. You know, like, a, you know, Monkey Punch has made no secret how much of a fan he was of Tom and Jerry. And I can definitely see shades of that here. Uh, it reminds me, personally, it reminds me a lot of Looney Tunes, especially, uh, you know, Chuck Jones' stuff. Or even, like, for me, I guess, you know, to 
to continue that with Chris, it also kind of reminds me of Scooby Doo al- almost. Hmm. You can see that same That's year too. Me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's also fascinating to like see it, especially like in that cinema scope, because I think like both Mamo and Cagliostro are kind of like they're widescreen, but it's like the widescreen that doesn't have like you know the two like black bars. Like it takes up when you watch it on like a TV, it takes up the whole screen, which is also really cool. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of fascinating to see that really you know that really wide wide screen. Like it, it feels cinematic, which cinemascope. So yeah, it's like it's just. It's kind of a glimpse of like a Lupin film that could have been. And I kind of wish we would have gotten it. Yes. But if we had gotten it, we wouldn't have gotten the series as is. So I can't complain too much. It's like, it's nice to have yeah. that nice little window. Yeah. You know, just, you know, just go to the other timeline and just see what they have and come back here. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, it's interesting that originally with the pilot film, um, you know, they were just trying to secure funding for a larger production, just a, a simple film. And mm-hmm. they were like, mm, maybe a series might be better. And, you know, we get we get part one. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not too. <laughs> it's just interesting, especially when you watch the pilot film and, and then, you know, have that have that hindsight and that retrospect on it, you know, and it's like, huh, like they wanted a film, but we got it. We got 50 plus years of television. Hey. I know that one of the uh, one of the ideas for a, a film that would follow this would be to uh, show Lupin III's origins as a hip, as a hippie. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And so I'm kind of interested to see how that would have turned out. That, that, I that mean, would be fun. who knows? Maybe maybe they could yeah. have it in the upcoming um, six part prologue that's coming oh, out uh, on my yeah. the weekend of my birthday, actually. So, oh, uh, Lupin Zero, yeah, I'm so yeah. Cool. For the record, all four of us are going to take credit for wishing Lupin Zero into existence because at the end of our part six at the end of our part six retrospective, we each were just like, we'd like to see the direction going like we'd like to see the franchise go in a direction that's like really fresh and kind of like when you see the announcement be like, I don't know how I feel about that. Literally one week after <laughs> the episode drops, Lupin Zero's announced. And this is kind of the most excited I've been for the franchise since since 2019. When like we got the first in Fuchigomine's lie and all that, like this is, I did not see this coming. That's such a fascinating approach, and also like going to the roots of the manga a little bit. So man, I'm, I've just been vibing ever since then, man. Speaking of which, uh, if you're interested in the origins of Lupin Zero, a uh, very handsome uh, uh, host of this podcast here wrote an article talking about all of the uh, young Lupin chapters from the original <laughs> manga. Over on uh, Lupin Central. Yeah, I heard he's pretty amazing, but I don't know about that. I think hmm. he's full of himself, but there may, <laughs> there may, be, some, there may be some truth to that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I just find it funny that we're talking currently about the pilot film, which was the start of everything. And <laughs> Lupin Zero is, <laughs> in a sense, is you know, story-wise, the start of everything. <laughs> and both take place in the 60s. It was it hey. was a trippy era, man. It was it was an awesome era. Everybody everybody was on acid, and everybody was <laughs> you know like social rebellion. Like, come on, that's nice. you know, chef's and kiss the greatest, right there. Yeah, the greatest rock band ever. If they were around, matter of fact, they didn't survive the decade. But they were a big deal at the time. <laughs> um. Before we move on from the pilot film, though, like one thing I always like to point out, Emma, you mentioned the voice actors. Like the the voice actors in this always kind of fascinate me. Because in the uh, 
the Cinemascope version of the pilot film, Lupin's first by Nach- Lupin is voiced by Nachi Nozawa, who is also Cobra from Space Adventure Cobra, and Pai Cal from Return of Pai Cal, which is just like, it's so weird where it's like, hey, it's Pai Cal playing Lupin. Strange. Well, I'm like that too, but just about part one in general, particularly with Goemon. <gasps> yeah, with the. Um, well, uh, yeah. Goemon was voiced by Goronaya, who later became Zenigata. Yep. And it's not Makio Inoue, and I yeah. have it's not. feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, we get it. We get it. You love Captain Harlock. We, we've seen your thirst tweets, Emma. So do I. I uh... <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> just, just look at him. Go look at Captain Harlock. <laughs> Tell no. me you don't want it. <laughs> you sorry, listener, sorry. right now. <laughs> My ADHD train of thought, and Marie and I watched something, and she said, Why does the dude remind me of Captain Harlock? And me, who hasn't really watched a lot of, you know, of that, I'm just like, Huh, I can kind of see it. <laughs> a very specific archetype. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's so fascinating you bring up going on from part one because. In the TV version of the pilot film, Zenigata is voiced by Chikao Otsuka, who voices Goemon in part one, but Chikao Otsuka is the father of Akio Otsuka, who is now Jigen. So, like... Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. They, they keep that Lupin family rolling around. <laughs> they do. But obviously I mean, the two they constants... Kept... Were oh, yeah, ahead. the two. I'm, I'm sorry, I was gonna say the two constants were Kiyoshi Kobayashi as Jigen yep. and um, I, um, Ieko Masuyama as mm-hmm. uh, Fujiko. However, when it came to part one, they kept Kobayashi for Jigen, mm-hmm. and you know, he was a con- he was a constant in the series, but not in um, Fuma Conspiracy, and of course, up until recently. Uh, when he announced his retirement and, you know, he passed away. But mm-hmm. Ieko Masayama did not come back for um, part one, but was well, brought back for part two. Actually, okay, she did come back for part one, but not as Fujiko. Yep. Really? She, she, plays, uh, she plays Catherine in the Emerald Secret. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, I thought that sounded familiar. So, so yeah, so whenever you watch a scene with Catherine and Fujiko, it sounds like two Fujikos talking to each other. Which is kind it, of that, weird. that episode's so trippy in <laughs> retrospect, where you're like, "Wait a minute!" It's like the two Spider-Man pointing at each other. Uh, it's, it's. I mean, it's such a great episode, though. It's, mm-hmm. it's so good. It, it is one of my well, favorites we too. Got, we haven't got there yet. <laughs> but you know what? Let's get there. So obviously, the pilot film, you know, didn't become a film. They reformatted it into a TV pilot. Uh, which was shopped around for a little bit, and then Yomiuri Television picked it up, and thus, part one was born. With uh, And also at the time, only Yasuo Otsuka and Masaki Osumi were left at Tokyo Movie, so obviously they carried over to part one. Masaki Osumi briefly directed it, <laughs> and Otsuka stayed on board as, you know, character designer and whatnot. Obviously, the last time we talked about part one, the only audio version that was available was some, uh, well, as actually, wasn't the uh, the Spanish dub available for a long time before the English dub? I believe it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> yes. And what ironically, I what I do know about it is that TMS Los Angeles dubbed it in oh. Latino Spanish, but it was there. It was there. Um. <laughs> But in the meantime, from us covering the first nine episodes of part one and our brief, you know, break to talk about part six, uh, all of part one was dubbed and released both online and on Blu-ray. So 
obviously we're catching up because Emma is now joined both Emma and Natalie have joined us as co-hosts and now there's a dub to talk about so let's get into the very first episode of part one is Lupin Burning directed by Masaki Osubi and written by Tadaki Yamazaki Emma, is Lupin burning? Um, not unless it's the 2018 OVA, <laughs> 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 which I like nominally better. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like I said um, when we were talking for off the record. Um, I, it's my first time like rewatching part one in several several years, and I like said forgot how much I liked it. This episode, I had to pause several times, simply because I was just, like, I was struggling to get through it. <laughs> kind of like Natalie said, like, it being, like, a marathon. Mm-hmm. That, that's, like, this episode for me. Uh, I've heard multiple people say that uh, it should have, part one should have started on episode four. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, As one of those like, people, Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they are from you and a couple other people. So, I, <laughs> yeah, is Lupin still burning? Yeah, only if it's the OVA that they did recently. <laughs> that's that's all I have to say about that. Alrighty, so Natalie, it, mm-hmm. is he burning? Um, no. <laughs> um, okay, so. Let's start off with my disclaimer of I am sorry, people, and you can give me all the fuck you want. I I'm third. I'm nearly thirty two, and I don't give a flying fuck. But I just don't vibe with part one. I can understand as a Lupin historian, it's you know the first series, the first series, you know Cornerstone started off um, Miyazaki's career in a sense, and you know you know the the debate is always osumi or miyazaki but it's just not my thing i'm sorry for me having to watch the entirety of the part one dubbed in english even dubbed in english was a marathon the only thing that got me through it was it being dubbed in latino spanish and it's only because of my incessant need to watch a lot of things dubbed in latino spanish because sometimes it just sounds better and or funnier Currently, look at my Instagram for context. One thing I will say that made this <laughs> eh episode um, kind of a little bit enjoyable was um, when part six came out and they did the um, the celebration of the 50th anniversary for Lupin the Third in theaters last year. I went with the best friend to see that first episode dubbed in English in theaters, which made it. A little bit. I like that it made it like enjoyable in the sense that oh, I'm looking at it in a theater, but also I was taking my best friend, whom I've never shown this first episode of part one to, and I had to warn her, girl, there's a tickle machine torture scene. Uh oh. And she's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And I told her, honey, I've seen. And, and I and I stand by this. I've seen kinkier shit at BDSM clubs in San Francisco. At least it was consensual. That's all I can say. <laughs> but for something that was part of the plot in the late um, in the late sixties, early seventies, it's just me going, "What the fuck?" <laughs> um, 
but yeah, it was enjoyable on theaters. Um, I like how, as someone who really loves part two, there's this continuity of that episode with the first episode of part two and the villain, uh, Mr. X Scorpion. Um, and then they bring him back again for another episode in part two. So that's one of the reasons why I do enjoy the first episode. And of course, mm-hmm. there's car racing. And mm. um, yeah. And the banter, the banter in Latino Spanish. Um, I, if more people spoke Spanish, I would totally give examples. But what I love is really the banter between um, Lupin and Jigen when, you know, when they're on the when on their walkies while they're one's driving and the other one's like keeping an eye out the banter in spanish just hits very very differently julian soy aramis tal como lo sospeché un extraño estaba husmeando en mi auto como van las cosas por allá tranquilízate aramis hasta los pájaros están cantando cambio no me estoy refiriendo a eso quiero saber cómo está vanessa mi novia tu novia de acuerdo parece que tuvo éxito con su misión en el hotel milagro oh also, that theme song. Holy shit. Please put it here, Drew. But like oh, that I Latino, am. the Latino American theme song for Lupin the Third fucking it slaps, rips. yo. La vida de Lupin es un misterio. Heredero de un gran imperio. Damas, cuatreros, pistolas, rateros. El aventurero no les talking in general about uh, part one's music well i love it i i enjoy i do enjoy some but not all some p38 fucking slaps i'm not gonna lie p38 (laughs) sounds like me after a bender (laughs) that is like legitimately my second favorite lupon theme behind the ugiona one for me it's ugiona's theme Afro Lupin 68 and James Shimoji's theme from the Kuike movies. Like, that's the holy trinity Dude, of Lupin themes. P38 just makes me want to go to, just makes me want to speed on the freeway, go to a club, and just like, that shit slaps yo. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you want to do what Lupin and Fujiko do in a later episode of part one and go to a club listening to this music? Yes. <laughs> And but da- but dance better than Fujiko does. I- I'm sorry, Fujiko. Oh, no, like yeah, I have the yeah. la- I may be part white, but I have the Latina jeans. I know how to dance, <laughs> but then the white jeans come in and 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 just the white jeans is- always cancel shit out. Yeah, it cancels it out. <laughs> Cursed white jeans. <laughs> this is this is this is why I'm not fun at Latino <laughs> parties. <laughs> the white jeans come out. Fujiko is not white. And she can't dance worth the She's got to be part white for her to not dance. I don't think it was intentional, but I love how consistent that has been. Ever since the yes. pilot film up to now, Fujiko cannot dance. Mm-hmm. Even though the part six opening, like, man, I she's can't trying. I can recognize it. <laughs> yeah. yeah she really the part is. six opening, she's trying. The part two, um, third opening, um, she, she, she fails. <laughs> oh, honey, no. <laughs> the fingers up the one little awkward leg kick <laughs> yes uh, 
Well, we're talking about Mr. X. How many times has Mr. X like showed up in this? In series? the Lupin franchise in total, yeah. I believe four times. Okay, yeah. mm-hmm. I think you're right. His voice actor, however, if I may interject, because I love telling people this because it's my favorite. It's one of my favorite Lupin specials. His voice actor has appeared five times, four Mm -hmm. times, or I think believe, well, four times, three, obviously, with the two episodes and, um, you know, the, the pilot episode of Lupin the Third Part One. The last time we hear his voice, because he passed away a couple of years after this, I believe it's in the linear notes. Um, Lupin the Third, Dragon of Doom, or is Zentetskin still burning? AKA my favorite special because of Goemon and Titanic. He voices oh, Chin Chin Chow. It's in mm-hmm. the linear notes. Yeah. You're talking about um um uh, Junpei Takaguchi, right? Yes. Yeah, um, uh, cause he also shows up in uh Alcatraz connection. He's the Who guy that tortures Lupin. With the, you know, he puts the dome on his head, hits it with the hammer. I forget his oh, name. Oh, the, the, yeah. the, the Chinese bondage guy that I'm pretty sure I saw at the BDSM club in San Francisco. Yes. I'm sure I've seen that in a hentai somewhere. Uh, it's Huang is who he's playing. Yeah, I call him the chi- the Chinese torture guy that I'm pretty sure I've seen at a BDSM club in San Francisco because it was set in San Francisco. <laughs> but yeah, um, I thought I thought he died a little bit after that, but I guess I'm wrong about that. But yeah, it was in the linear notes for mm-hmm. Dragon of Doom, and that that amazed me. I was like, "Huh, Mister X is back." <laughs> I'm just going to pretend that those are both Mister X, like like you know, obviously like <laughs> reincarnated or in disguise again. Just the man won't die. <laughs> No, I mean, again, in in in, epi- in Lupin the Third Part Two, part, um, Episode One, he comes back as a um, bionic man, mm-hmm. a cyborg, like yeah, <laughs> yeah, a because, cyborg, and, yes, yeah, because uh, in in the dub, uh, I think Jigen calls him uh, the bionic fruitcake. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and speaking of that, but well, actually, no. First, uh, Chris, how about you? How about what's the status on Lupin? Is he burning? <sighs> Well, I, I can't come up with a wisecrack answer for that. So I'm just going to talk about my feelings on this episode as a whole. I don't like it. I never have. It is a terrible first episode. Mm. Now, if it was like later on in, in the series, I'd be more forgiving of it. But this is how it opens. And I mean, like, I think the animation's good. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of really nice looking scenes. But the story doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Why does Scorpion want Lupin dead? Why is Fujiko sneaking to the Hotel Miracle? Why is Inspector Zenigata chasing after Lupin III? None of this is explained in this episode. <laughs> you know, nobody's motivations are clear. And although we'll have to say, I think I prefer the, the uh, dub of this episode to the uh, original subversion because during uh, Zenigata's monologue, you know, at some point in the episode, he refers to Lupin as an arrogant thief. Mm-hmm. Those three words provide some damn context for this episode, at least mm-hmm. for why Zenigata is chasing him. And I found that, that that went a long way. And, you know, again, like there's some really cool set pieces, like, you know, the whole bit with Lupin electric, electrocuting pretty much all of the Scorpion gang, mm-hmm. which is dark, but it was pretty stylish. Also, something else about the dub is that in the original Japanese, the leader of Scorpion is is never referred to by name. The Mr. X mm-hmm. name doesn't appear until part two. Part two. But in the dub, he's referred to as Mr. X, which I thought was a neat little bit of continuity. 
Well, the other continuity um, that I found interesting, especially with um, the part five OEA of Is Lupin Still Burning? They kept the consistent voice actor from the dub. Because mm-hmm. keep in mind, yep. you know, part two dub was from 2002. That's 20 years ago. And I mean, yeah, they, they kept the main cast consistent because duh. But I, I really didn't think they kept that attention to detail with the background characters, particularly Mr. X. But they yeah. did. And I yeah, I do. I, I really do. Yeah. Yeah. Try hearing that in theaters, and I'm having like this little emotional moment of like, oh my god! And Maria's like, what the hell? And I'm like, girl, <laughs> the nostalgia. <laughs> I knew exactly what you were up to, Fujiko Mine. But if we made a big fuss about it, then Lupin would get wise to it, and we can't have that, can we, my dear Fujiko? That might spoil our plans to have a lovely funeral for Lupin, and that's been in the making for some time. I nearly died myself, but <laughs> I had my burnt and mangled body painstakingly repaired by the most advanced experimental technology. And now, out of the ashes of my dream, I have been resurrected as your worst bionic nightmare! I must say I'm delighted to see you again, especially after all this time. Also, I hate to say it, but I'm not a big fan of Richard Epcar's performance in this episode because I feel like for the first few episodes of part one, his performance feels kind of phoned in, you know, like a lot of it just feels like they just use the first take of the, of his line readings, which he does get better though. Much better. I also feel like we got to give props to uh, Tony Oliver. Mm-hmm. The goat! The goat! The goat! <laughs> Waiting for Tony Oliver to be mentioned. I was like, unmute, unmute. That's why he's the That's why he's the MVP. He's so freaking good in this. Like, and, and I like how I like how his performance is like slightly higher pitched to reflect mm-hmm. on being a little younger than he, than he normally plays him. Such a good time. And yeah, Michelle Ruff, as always, is fantastic. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, goodness gracious. Mm-hmm. Doe Airholtz. Um <laughs> Doug Airholtz. Are we? Oh, God. Oh, God. This is going to come back to him. <laughs> Actually, he's at Anime Pasadena this weekend, so that's already giving me ideas. Please tell him, please tell him I'm sorry I spelled his name wrong. Drew's <laughs> like, I'm sorry I spelled your name wrong three years ago. <laughs> it still haunts me to this day. Watch me just walk up to him and be like, uh, "We there's an inside joke in the podcast. We call you Doe Erholz, and it just comes out naturally. It, it's not a dig. <laughs> I promise. No, we love you. <laughs> this all started with a typo. I mean, it is a dig, but it's on Drew. It's this not is on true. Mr. Erholz. It's a dig on Doug, but not Doe. <laughs> I tried. I'm getting confused now. <laughs> I tried. But... But yeah, going back to the episode, though, like, it's based on a manga chapter called Dead Heat, and I actually really like the manga version of the story, because there is some actual context to the events that are happening, because the premise in this in the manga is that Lupin is participating in this race as a cover for him to rob a bank, and Zenigata's in the race as well because he's, you know, pursuing him. So when Lupin and Jigen make the switch, it's so... Zenigata can keep chasing Jigen on the racetrack while Lupin goes and robs his bank. Which, 
makes so much more sense, I think. Mm. It's it's really fun story too. It's there's a gag involving a uh, the bank manager being let's see, Lufan disguised as the bank manager, except it turns out no, it's actually the uh, real bank manager wearing a Lupin mask that Lupin put on. <laughs> and it, it, yeah, it, it is wacky. I, I really like the uh, manga version, but it's like the anime version of the story, it's not all bad, but I feel like the bad outweighs the good. Mm. So yeah, not a fan. Maybe if it was later in the series, again, I would be yeah. more warm to it, but it's a terrible introduction. Yeah, I'm going to just chime in and agree. This is like a this is a clunker of a first episode, especially to like introduce the gang. Like it's just awkward. But honestly, like I agree with every point mentioned because like it's just it's just episode four should have been the first one. Like I think that's kind of almost general consensus thing. But since I figured that we were all going to be beating up on it, I will highlight some things I really do like about it. Uh, this is nowhere near a dig on. Anyone who worked on part six, none of the CGI animators, like the cars didn't turn out so good, but like, you know, it's hard, especially like, you know, the time that was made in, it was in the middle of COVID. It's hard to make like CGI cars look good and whatnot. And like, they can be done. I don't hate on CGI. I think CGI can be used well in anime. Like it's, it's been done. However, going from part six to this one and just that, that really kind of sketchy hand-drawn car animation. It's so beautifully detailed. Like, like the shots of this of like, you know, there's like these really rough looking shots of like feet pressing down on accelerators and the exhaust in the back, like furiously spewing out. Well, exhaust. Right. I mean, like, like the way that the uh, exhaust comes out of Lupin's car after he jumped back into it near the end, after yes. the explosions go off. It's like, for some reason, the way that that smoke is animated has stuck in my mind for almost 20 mm-hmm. years now. There's like there's like a genuine weight to it. Yeah. And like also one of my favorite shots is just that one detail. There's one shot where it shows the back of his car and you see like the heat distortion in the air around it, which is such a nice little detail. Like I, I really just kind of picked up on aesthetic stuff like that this time around. Um, it's a very good looking episode. Yes, like as where it lacks in story is at least very pretty to look at, especially for like a 1971 yeah. TV anime. Like they're going hard on it. It has one of my single favorite shots in part one, which is the bit where the logs are dropped in front of Lupin's car and he like yanks his car sideways and his body's hanging <laughs> halfway out with a big like his big piano grin. It's such a brief <laughs> shot, but it's so Lupin that like it's hard not to like be won over by that one little moment. Uh, it's it's so monkey punch esque. I'm surprised yes. it's not actually in the manga. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I'm just surprised in general um, that the first episode of part one wasn't wasn't like the first chapter of the manga. You know what I mean? Like well, they could have. Well, that's weird. It, I mean, like, but see, part one was marketed more towards adults. Mm-hmm. But they. I mean, the manga was it. marketed towards adults. Yes, but. They would not have been able to get away with the story from the first chapter of the manga. On no. TV back then. Okay. Okay. Fair. Especially, I mean, especially how that one ends. Yeah. Well, I, I say this because, like, I don't know a lot about Japanese broadcasting um, or how Japanese broadcasting was, particularly in the late sixties, early seventies. It's not like here in America, where like you you, you got to understand how different the times were. Like here in America, as example, in the in the fifties when we had I Love Lucy. 
they couldn't outright say that Lucy was pregnant. They had to come up mm. with a different phrase. Like, you know, Ricky Ricardo said she's expecting with her with his heavy Cuban accent because they couldn't say that. Yeah, she's having a baby, even though it's a natural mm. fucking thing. Um, again, I don't know what broadcasting was like in um, Japan, but I can say that for a cartoon to have a tick, you know, the, with the first episode to have a tickle machine do what they do to Fujiko, and then you see a nipple. The the broadcasting must have been a lot more lax than it was here in the states, obviously. Mm, yeah. <laughs> well, and then, and then there's whole that, that whole bit where Mister X is comparing uh, Fujiko's body to the racetrack, which is creepy as hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also sleazy, but in a weird way, it kind of works with the vibe they're going for. Mm. Yeah. Because you know, I don't, I don't think we're supposed to be liking Mister X. No. no. He 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 ties up a woman and tortures her, right. you know, d- without her consent. <laughs> yeah, so so you know it comes across as like really, you know, sleazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Natalie, I'm guessing you're not familiar with how the first chapter of the uh, manga goes. I I know how the first chapter of the manga goes. Okay, yeah, like I said I don't <laughs> think they would be able to get away with that even back then. Exactly. So I mean. I, I just thought with what they got away with in this one, they could have gotten away with it. That, again, that's why I brought yeah, up the example <laughs> of how was broadcasting in Japan in this time frame. Things have changed, my good friend. I mean, they could probably do it now. But probably. Yeah. Um, but other details I like about it, again, like, it, it's a very nice looking episode. It's also just a very well directed episode in places. Because, mm-hmm. like. Um, one of my other favorite moments in it is the bit where Lupin and Jigen switch cars. And I love Jigen with the stopwatch and that stopwatch sound kind of takes over in the bit when they like, they jump the car over and it freeze frames and all the sound goes out is some of the most like hype shit that exists. Like that again, the episode is, I don't like it as an introduction. It's not even one of my favorite episodes, but like there's, there's little moments and specifically that one where like every time that's just cool. I love it. Makes me smile. Speaking of uh, hype shit, the bit when uh, let's see, after Lupin throws the exploding trophy back at the commissioner, <laughs> and I mean, first of all, the commissioner's dazed pose and expression after being blown up mm-hmm. feels incredibly monkey punch. I love that. But then, like the way Lupin like gets back into his car, and then uh, the members of Scorpion give chase. Then they start blowing up, and the whole thing is set to Lupin or to Afro Lupin sixty eight. Uh, it's great. And I, I just, it's just, it's so well-timed. Mm-hmm. And like, it's one of those weird things. It's like, these people are dying. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> damn, it's cool. Especially with, you know, Lupin giving that, you know, relatively innocent looking uh, grin as it's happening. <laughs> it's just, I, I just really like that sequence. It's one of those things. It's like, yeah, he's kind of the bad guy, but these other guys are worse. So it's okay. Exactly. Which I think is like, I think it's a kind of like a recurring theme in the Osumi episodes anyway. So mm-hmm. I really like that. I also like the follow up bit in that moment where, like, when all the chaos dies down and there's that shot that kind of pans across and you see Zinagata's dumbfounded expression and Lupin, like, in the <laughs> background with his arms crossed, just like a little grin on his face. <laughs> just proud of himself. <laughs> the other little quick things I'll mention. Um, I guess the only other part I really enjoy is the bit where he he sneaks into Hotel Miracle and disguises himself as the plumber. And um, it's a great little bit where he hits the guy on the head with the hammer, which is where I'm going to highlight the dub where Tony Oliver, (laughs) 
gets an extra line that's not in the Japanese and it's beautiful where he whacks the guy on the head, runs out and goes, later, later, and (laughs) runs through the hallway. And you also get the great gag of Lupin drilling into the the wall (laughs) and just a torrent of water taking him out. And you see him like frustratingly like (laughs) wringing out his clothes in the elevator with like a little clothes, a little makeshift clothes rack built up in it. So yeah, like again, while it's not, a great episode does make a whole lot of sense and I don't, I do not like it as a first episode of part one. It's worth at least, you know, one watch because there's some good stuff in there, but it's as an introduction to the series, it's weird. It's still weird. (laughs) It's still just awkward. And why did y'all pick this one? Luckily, nobody mentioned it. (laughs) Luckily, nobody mentioned it for the starter kit. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, I think, I think we all knew better. I don't know, Guillaume did put green versus red on there. Yeah, but that's that's Guillaume, okay? <laughs> and he did a very spectacular job yeah, exactly. at making it convincing. He did. Like, I don't agree, but I agree, you know? <laughs> I don't agree, but I agree. Defend to the death, you're right to say it. Yeah, you, you drop this, king. <laughs> and also, I'll mention the, uh, the dub. I actually, like, I do agree with Chris. I, I do think like like Epcar really finds the part one groove in episodes three and four because like yeah, it, it's a very literal translation of part one in places it feels like. So like some of that dialogue can be kind of hard to cram in. And I think they like I think they actually do end up doing like a really good job of making it like come across really well. But um, one thing and this is I, I do not blame the dub actors for this. The dub is a little hard for me to like get into because a I, i've just been so used because like for the last i don't know as long as i've been watching lupine i'm so used to the like the original like mono mix of part one that now it's been turned into a stereo mix and like in tms's like restoration of this mix they kind of destroy what i love about part one it has a very a rough around the edges quality, like the mono mix, like, you know, it's kind of loud. It's kind of crunchy. And now it sounds so clean. And like in some places, the sound effects have now been like, like quietened down, especially like in part one, in episode one, the bit when he starts blowing up the cars, the explosions are so more quiet. And the music is also kind of oddly mixed. And the dub like lines are a lot louder than the sound effects and music it's 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 a strange mix and again it doesn't completely kill it and like i don't like it's not like a huge criticism but it's also why like i love the dub actually like i really 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 do like it it's never gonna be my default for part one because it kind of loses that kind of crunchy like rough around the edges kind of scrappy feeling that kind of part one has in general and like I'd even say like like Discotech's beautiful restoration of this, by the way. If you don't have this on Blu-ray, if you have the means to afford it and watch it, I'd highly recommend it because it is a gorgeous remaster. Even that like doesn't lose that rough around the edges quality. Like it actually kind of refines it. It's got really nice film grain. You can see like the sketchiness in the line art and like the dirt and because like they restored it, but they didn't get rid of like, you know, dirt that appears in the frame here and there and little pops and stuff. It, it like, it's really nice all around, but that like the cleaned up like mono to stereo mix, like 
it's weird for me to like get the hang of because like the moments where I'm like that explosion was a lot quieter or like Jigen's gunshots in episode two in particular kind of like weirdly mixed. And again, it's no fault of the dub actors at all in general. It's just a weird little hang up for me, but I get over it. The dub performances are great. So yeah. I guess um, if that's all we have to say about episode one, are we good with moving on to episode two? remind this um this trash nerd what is episode two about again oh so episode two is uh the man they called a magician directed by masaki osumi and written by atsushi yamatoya and based on a story by monkey punch one little preface i will give both to this episode and the part one dub in general has to be addressed we addressed it in the in the the episode zero first contact one the, uh, the dub obviously contains, you know, Tony Oliver, Richard Epcar, Michelle Ruff, Lex Lang, Doug Erholtz, uh, Derek Stephen Prince comes back as Mr. X. But if you look in the credits, obviously uh, Todd Habercorn is a part of these dubs. And we're just we're just addressing this so you know it. And these are just allegations, but they're allegations nonetheless. There are allegations of sexual misconduct that have been directed towards Todd Habercorn. So, you know, if that is a deal breaker for you, that is completely understandable. And I also feel like it's just something people should know about before they get into it, because it's not immediately like noticeable. You have to stay for like, you know, the final credits. But, you know, just to get that out of the way, just it's just a heads up. And obviously we're not saying one way or another, not making any judgments. It's just I, I feel like we'd be remiss not to bring that up. But anyway, on a brighter note, uh, Emma, how do you feel about uh Big fiery emo boy's first appearance. <laughs> I like this episode. Mm. <laughs> I really like the dub of it, uh, in particular. Uh, G in it and Lupin, <laughs> like in the house, just like cracking up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get it just reminds me of me and my friends like doing stupid shit and being dumb uh even in the face of like danger uh i yeah this episode is fun Pycal, uh like i know a lot of people like Pycal is like this weird fan base <laughs> mm-hmm. i think natalie is a part of <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's just, it's you, weird. He you only, got something to say? Like, cash me outside. How about that? He's only in like two things, and yet he has a very strong following. And I'm like, huh. I'm not gonna deny that. I'm not gonna deny that. It's like when you see two characters just look at each other, and some people are like, I'm shipping them. <laughs> or even like, or even, I don't know, PyCal, PyCal is this very much in that vein of like, you see them and you are, you already automatically think these kind of things and you want them to come back. And, you know, yeah. part one, 
part one already had such memorable characters that there was a lot of marketing and and we'll talk about them as the episodes come you know as we go through the episodes but that that a lot of the marketing really played heavily upon not just mr x but like uh linda the witch and um my my other my other boy time traveling mamo but Pycal is just in the rogues gallery of Lupin that is a rogue. And again, they he was in the manga. You know, Chris will will mention that. And then of course they bring him back for my favorite, but the worst OVA ever made, Return of Pycal. But I don't know. He's basically <laughs> he's basically the Aemon Targaryen in my life. <laughs> where you suddenly see him and you're just like why do I want to create things for him? Why do I want to give him the world? <laughs> like, em- emo it. boys. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm like, okay, that's fair. <laughs> he is an interesting character, that is for sure. Uh, and I do like the concept, like mm-hmm. Lupin being bested by a magician. Uh, well, also magician in air quotes. You know what yes. I mean? In air Question quotes. Mark. Uh, which it which also brings the idea that if it wasn't like air quotes, like how would he do against somebody that is actually immune to the magician? Mm-hmm. Um that would be uh it brings up that idea. I'm, I'm sorry, you bring that up, and and I'm already reminded of my favorite worst film ever made, Daniel the Wizard. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> oh, Can we talk about that? Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I just, uh, and I love, like, Fujiko's outfits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, that's the all-pink dress, right? No. It's her white and blue with the cutout. Yes, with the cutout. she also wears in part four. Mm-hmm. I love Good that look. dress. Yeah, yeah. I-, I was so glad that I, like, got called back to part four. It's, like, one of my favorite dresses. Uh, something I've always wanted to cosplay, but I don't feel comfortable enough doing Mandy has done that cosplay, I, I believe. So. I and she looks so. oh yeah, she she she's a great Fujiko. Like I, I freaking love her. Yeah, she's the best Fujiko. I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> uh, she's the best cosplay of Fujiko. Yeah, uh, this episode's just fun and I kinda almost wish that it had been the start rather than uh the one it's uh previous one. So yeah. that's a good candidate too. Um so Natalie. <laughs> Well, but how about your boy? Yes. <laughs> My boy. <laughs> this piece is what all true warriors strive for. <laughs> That's two in I a row. I you, Chris. I love you, Chris. I, I hate you, Chris. I just wonder what Pycal's up to. <laughs> Gee, I, <laughs> it sure is boring out here. No, no, no. Um, I, yeah, I've said most of what I said with Emma. Um, I will. Okay, so going back to my favorite, which is the Spanish dub. This is actually dubbed... Um, Adios mi bella flor, which literally trans to, translates to goodbye, my beautiful flower, which um, hmm. interesting, um, you know, interesting episode change because it's not that hard to translate in Spanish um, Lupin versus a magician. It would it would I, uh, that I, like I a better title for the next episode. Adios mi bella flor. Yeah, like that would be better for episode three. Yeah. Um, for- no 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 sorry i did get them confused oh i'm tired episode this episode is is subtitled hakal ian and mago so jackal and the mage which um does That's not work very well but whatever again giving me daniel the wizard vibes but um <laughs> 
but yeah, no, PyCal is one of my favorite. Again, this is part one really marketed a lot of these um, side characters that very rarely, if ever, came back. And only a handful of them did come back. Like, I would have loved to see Linda. Well, Linda wasn't a villain, but I would have loved to see Linda come back. But of course, she died. And, you know, we get Mamo. We get Mamo three times. But one of I'm talking about tam- time traveling Mamo, not uh, Paul Williams Mamo. Um, Kiyosuke Mamo and what's it called um we get him technically three times but yeah Paikal is just one of my favorite side characters um I found him quite interesting um side note here I'm really fascinated by stage performers um you know someone who studies um a lot of um um stage productions and whatnot I love stage magicians because you you know it's not real but and you have that suspension but you have that suspension of disbelief especially because the tricks that they do to um, make it believe it be real are so secretive which is why I used to love watching um, the mass magician many years ago back in like the early 2000s and I'm very fascinated by Harry Houdini and as a as a story writer I've always thought like before I've watched and read the Pi Cal chapter, I always thought like Lupin versus a magician would be good. And then suddenly, you know, I watched the Pi Cal. I'm like, oh, it's been done. And it's been done very well. And also just the um, the sexual tension between Lupin, Pi Cal and Fujiko just as a, a, a as a um, not an actual threesome, but as a, you know, <laughs> um, what's that called again? Again, I'm very tired. Um, the thruple. Um, love triangle. Love triangle. <laughs> I guess if you want to call it that, thruple. <laughs> That'd be a weird thruple. <laughs> <laughs> I would hate having Pycal as a part of my thruple. Hey, it'd be weird, but it'd be hot. Get it? Get it? Christ, God. You know. What? Uh, there's uh, there's a fingering joke in here to be made, but I'm not going to be the one to make it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Michael looks like he he's really good with his fingers. That's all I'm going to leave it at. <laughs> I just hope he doesn't I turn them on. As part of my thruple. <laughs> uh. But also, um, isn't this also where we get the canon that Lupin just hates octopus? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Then how does he eat takoyaki? Because takoyaki is delicious. And I know there's other varieties, but the octopus kind is delicious. But yeah, that's my thoughts on it. Um, I do agree that this probably should have been um, the first episode and not, you know, is Lupin still burning? In regards to Pycal's voice actor, I'm not going to talk about him or anything. I'm just going to talk about how I I really much enjoyed more uh, Yada's dub voice actor as Pycal in the OVA than mm. yeah he, who, than he who should not be named as Pycal because him uh, he who should not be named as Pycal felt very base and bland and really had nothing for me i find it so interesting that yada's voice actor only gave us a few lines as Pycal, mostly a lot of grunts and owies but the few lines he had gave us more depth 
I think there was a lot of excitement to, in particular, to that voice actor playing Pykel because it was the first time that Pykel had ever been dubbed. Yeah, it was, mm-hmm. and I and I remember when that OVA came out, I was super like, I, I, again, I was happy that they brought back Miss, Mr. X. I found it interesting that the Kiyosuke Mamo voice, oh my god, like who who dubbed him for that? It, but it's so funny because it almost made it sound like like you know Mamo Mamo Blue Mamo. Um, Howard Lockwood. Yeah, like Howard Lockwood. Yeah, I'll just call him Howard Lockwood. When I mention Kiyosuke Mamo, I'm just going to mention Howard Lockwood. (laughs) I like like Blue Mamo. (laughs) That little smurf. That was uh, Paul St. Peter as Kiyosuke Mamo. Wasn't he also George McFly in um, the dub of um, First Contact? I believe so, but if not, I will put a note here in that Texas speech voice again. <laughs> that explains so much. But yeah, that's that's my thoughts on um, Pykel, the wizard. That's what I'm going to call it from now on, <laughs> with him doing the finger thing. <laughs> Just give me that. Just give me Pykel's face superimposed on Daniel, the wizard, because it fits. <laughs> so, Chris. Yes, dear. Chris, is is your does your heart also burn for Pykel? <laughs> you know, I'll say yes. this for you. I'll say this for you for him. When he gives you the finger, he means it. <laughs> that is actually Ew. a line from that. That's actually a line from the uh, Tokyo Pop translation of the manga chapter. Oh. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's actually the very first time we ever see Jigen, because Jigen first appeared in that chapter, and so after Pykel you know, points at Lupin's face for the first time. We later see Lupin sitting there, band-aids on his face. Jigen sitting next to him. Lupin's like, I'll say this for the guy. When he gives you the finger, he means it. Um, What book is that? Is that in book one? Yeah. Volume okay. one, chapter seven, I think. I need to reread it, but go ahead, yeah, it's, honey. Uh, it's, uh, I do really like this episode. I still don't think it should be the uh, first episode because... Again, there's no context for who Lupin the Third actually is. You know, I feel like if you're go- if you're going to have a series about a master thief, you should probably open with him actually stealing something. Mm. But which is why I think most of us point to Episode Four as being a good place to start. But, but yeah, like I've always I've always enjoyed this story, both on page and on screen. Something I actually appreciate about the anime version is that in the manga, Lupin is not the one to figure out Pykal's tricks. He actually has a uh, scientist working for him that does, and I and I prefer how the anime has Lupin figured out himself. Something that bugged me about the uh, OVA is Lupin still burning. Is that when Pycow jumps into the car, Lupin takes away his uh, fuel tank from mm-hmm. him. In both the manga and in the original episode, it's never explicitly stated that's how Pycow is doing his uh, uh, pyromancy. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, so, that's a, note, so you're pointing out a continuity error. Well, no, it just, I mean, if anything, like that confirms that he did it with the miniature flamethrower. Because in, in the manga and in the man they called the magician, it's just as likely that Pi Cow could actually be magical. Because we never see him, you know, you know, we never see him like explicitly using a flamethrower mm-hmm. or the glass. You know, Lupin figures out how to replicate these tricks but we never see Pycat himself doing it that way. So I think, you know, the 
2018 OVA actually confirming that they are just trick kind of bugged me. I kind of mm. like the uh, the ambiguity behind ambiguity. it. Maybe yeah, I, I, the episode's great. I don't know if it was. I, I I did enjoy the dub. There's one bit near the end when Lupin goes chasing after Fujiko and he smacks into a uh, pane of glass that she had set up. <laughs> and I don't know if this was an intentional pun or not, but as Jigen takes it away, he says, "Man, this glass could be a real pain." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I like to think it was. Oh, God. Love it. Love it. Love it. But we all three of us noticed that at the exact same time. So was that anyone that actually noticed it while watching the episode? Yes. Yeah. I think because I just mentally blocked that out. (laughs) I I did forget to mention that one of the funniest the funniest line bits in Latino Spanish is okay. Don't like how they dubbed Pycal because they made him sound very like raspy, like he's been smoking one too many. And um, the part where like he comes up to the stairs to try to grab Fujiko, Lupin's holding the gun to him and he's saying in Spanish, No te muevas. ¿Cómo te llamas? Jackal. Which literally translates to Jackal. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> well, yeah, one syllable, right? Jackal. Just like, okay, well, fine. Jackal. <laughs> nice to meet you. But, uh, I gotta say, like, the running gag about the octopus, I think is great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially when uh, I think, like, Jigen complains that he's hungry. And Lupin's like, well, is there something in the fridge? And it just shows us the octopus sitting there for a brief moment. <laughs> and then it you know, without them having to say anything. And then Lupin loses his appetite. <laughs> and uh, I do like how it comes back later in uh, Golden Legend of Babylon. Mm-hmm. Lupin's being interviewed. He mentions that he doesn't like octopi. Yeah. What are the things you don't like? Octopus. <laughs> and killers. Killers and octopus. Uh, does that mean he does not like tentacle hentai? I guess not. Hmm. Mm. Asking the real questions. Yeah. <laughs> Because let's face it, tentacles are great. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> I mean, like I've I've always enjoyed Pycal as a villain too. I always thought he was, you know, particularly memorable. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, he had a really cool gimmick. You know, again, I feel like they didn't like lean to the whole magician thing much. Which, to be fair, Monkey Punch didn't either. But um, I kind of enjoyed the uh, again the love triangle between Lupin, Pycal, Fujiko. Even though Pycal doesn't show signs of being anything but a terrible boyfriend. Listen, that doesn't stop some of us. That's just true. Yeah, good <laughs> oh, <point>. honey. <laughs> <laughs> I will speak for Fujiko and say that doesn't stop some of us. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, you bring that up, Chris. And one thing I will also touch in regard to the relationship or the ambiguous relationship between Paikal and Fuchigo that I find astounding is um, it's very subtle. It's not direct. It's not explained, but it's very subtle. And then you get to, of course, my trash return of Paikal, especially those, um, you know, when they, when we first were able to watch it, we didn't, we, not many people were able to see those three alternative endings. And then, you know, 
discotheque releases the blu-ray with the three alternative endings um and the one thing i don't know if it was because the setting in because of the setting in greece or just because they put it in for the sake of putting it in fujiko describes something and her relationship to paikal akin to um orpheus and eurydice and if you know it's a very common myth people should already know the story but I just find that astounding. And I always was like, is she referring to herself as Orpheus going back to bring Eurydice Pycal? Or is it a reverse? Which which begs the question, what exactly is the relationship? <laughs> well, in that in that taped message that Fujiko leaves for Pycal, she does say she's fallen in love with both Pycal and Lupin. So yeah. So then it. okay, she's Orpheus. See, there you go. Um <laughs> weird but okay <laughs> i guess I, I love the running gag of lupin and jigen using incre- increasingly larger weapons mm-hmm. to no avail that was not in the manga that was strictly an anime invention and i think and i think it's great because it's just it's like when you get like the red eye launcher you know they, they shoot pie cow with this missile <laughs> it blows him up he goes flying into the air drops down then gets right back up like he's a terminator it's it's awesome and it's hilarious. So good. <laughs> they're, they're like, get the bazooka. <laughs> <laughs> Again, just like friends doing stupid shit. <laughs> There's also a, a gag I really like when uh, Jigen suggests that they run away. <laughs> and uh, and like this, this gag was in the original manga as well, but in the anime... You know, something like, I uh, think we should run. Me? Run? Let's run. It's like Yasuo Yamada is really the defeated tone. I think really sells it. But in the uh, in the manga, it was more like, it was like, hey, think we should run? Me? Run? Good idea. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like two different approaches to essentially the same gag. And I love them both. I, I don't know which one I like better. but It's great. Yeah, good episode. I'll also specifically love, you mentioned the bit with the red eye launcher. I love how even the way it's directed, I'm not even sure if it's intentional, but like, like the camera pans over and it's like the camera kind of double takes like, yeah, whoa, whoa. And it like backs up. And you like <laughs> see this guy. <laughs> it's kind of hard to describe. It like pans, but then like zooms back like, whoa, wait, wait, wait what? <laughs> it's great. So yeah, I, 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 I'll also chime in here, but yeah. This is an all-timer part one episode, and this is kind of up there for just Lupin episodes in general for me, just because, as Chris mentioned, like it's, it's interesting, and we'll we'll get into detail of more of this on the next episode when we bring up Miyazaki and Takahata, but like, I read that it was after the airing of the second episode, and it had low ratings, is when they like kind of like spoke to Masaki Osumi about changing the tone, because it wasn't doing good, which like... I guess I get it because, like, you know, the whole thing was, you know, like, no one was quite ready for the super adult approach. And while it is adult and pulpy, it's still an incredibly silly and funny episode. Like, from the opening alone, like, the bit with the octopus and Lupin's face just turning pale with his teeth chattering and him running away. I guess this may not, I don't know if this was supposed to be funny, if it just plays funny now, and specifically in the dub, the bit when Lupin goes to, like, knock on Fujiko's door, and it cuts to Lupin, you just hear Jigen scream in the other room, and Lupin's face just drops, like, uh (laughs) uh-oh. And specifically Richard Epcar's scream was 
particularly hilarious. <laughs> Princess! Princess! <laughs> you got the whole gag with, like, their increasingly, like, more elaborate artillery that just keeps yeah. failing. <laughs> but yeah, like, like it, like it's a darker, pulpy episode, but it's still incredibly silly. And, like, all of them are kind of silly, with, like, a few exceptions of one they're like, because I know uh, Killer Sings the Blues is, like, one that's a little more kind of, like, serious through the whole thing. But I, I don't know. This episode just puts me in a good mood. It, it's got that perfect <laughs> balance of serious and silly. I'm, su- I'm sure Fujiko's shower scene doesn't hurt either. Of course. Hot. Um, also, just that opening shot of Lupin on his raft that has, like, a little tent on it. And he's got his little feet kicked up. And he looks so bored. Just kind of, like, oh. absent-mindedly fishing. So with this one, I also specifically like I'm um, going to shout out. Honestly, I think it, it may just be the first episode for me because I think Richard Epcar does kind of come into his own with the second one as well because there's also that really great bit when when Pykala appears above them. And like, obviously yeah. he screams is funny, but when it cuts to Jigen's like teeth chattering, the sound of cars making his shit feel like hilarious. <laughs> but I, 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 I like this episode because it has that weird blend of like, it's silly, but it's serious. And there's also like, for me, just some genuinely like odd, and it's hard to describe, but they're oddly like creepy bits to it, uh, both in Japanese yeah, and in English. Bits. With uh, with Fujiko's kind of like haunting song in the shower, just kind of gently underscoring the bit where Jigen's like, oh yeah, you know when we found her last night? And then hard cuts to like this nightmarish like hellscape they're driving through while that song's still playing and they just find her like walking amongst it. Like, that's just, I don't know, it's creepy, but it's like that, it's like the really cool kind of creepy where I'm like, oh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm vibing with it. Uh, Lupin himself gets kind of cool, creepy at the end there when when he and Pi Cal are pointing at each other and setting each other on fire. I also love the detail of like when he's on the chair, just kind of smug on fire, and he stands up and the chair like crumbles under him from burning. It's such a great little bit. God, I'm kind of I'm kind of scatterbrained at the moment with what I want to bring up in this episode um, that hasn't already been mentioned. You mentioned that bit at the end. When he runs after Fujiko after she whacks him in the head with the vase, I love, love the animation in that because like it's very like limited kind of like animated. I, th- I think the term is animated on twos because like you know the, the the animation of her like marching out is very simplistic, and the animation of him coming out is like you know kind of great. But the single funniest shot in this episode is when Jigen like looks. And you get his POV of like Lupin running after her. And it's like maybe one second of animation, but it is so fluidly animated of him flinging his arms around, like chasing after her. (laughs) It's just that single bit. I don't know what it is. I think it's just the fact that like the animation goes from being kind of limited to like beautifully rendered and smooth of like him hopelessly chasing after her. It's such a great little bit. It is. It's good. It's not particularly relevant, but I feel like I should mention that about 19 or so years ago, my uh, avatar on MSN Messenger was uh, that shot of uh, Lupin and Fujiko chilling on the couch together. Uh, I just always liked Mm. that shot. That was. um, I had that as a Facebook profile for a while, too. 
And it was fitting because at the time, my ex and I did Lupin. He did Green Dragon Lupin and I did Fujiko, so. Nice. Ah, okay. So that's a thread I wanted to pick up on. I, I specifically, like, Mr. X is a fun villain. I think they make him even more fun when he appears later. But, like, Pykal is, like, the first villain in part one that, like, I mean, granted, it's only the second episode. But, like, he really stands out. and He becomes, like, one of the most mem- memorable characters in Lupin just in general. Because, like, mm-hmm. he, he's got that very distinct, like, heavily monkey, monkey punch inspired design. He's, he's, he's very stoic. He doesn't speak too much. And just like, just a simple image of him lifting up his finger becomes the single most threatening thing you can imagine. <laughs> it's just, mm-hmm. it also kind of sets up like a bit, I don't know if I want to say sets, no, it kind of does set up a formula because this is really like the first episode. And it's a formula that gets explored in part two and three of like an unstoppable killer, just like for some reason just shows up at the Lupin gang's hideout. And like more of his past is uncovered and you know, how you have to figure out how do you overcome him? Because you've got him, which leads to like beauty in part two and, um, uh, uh, garb, the grim reaper. And it's also like one big reason why I kind of always consider the Kuika movies to be modern day, like Masaki Osumi, like episodes specifically, um, Hawk in blood spray, just kind of crashing in on their hideout just kind of throwing everything in disarray, but just like the simple fact of each of those movies being a weird assassin has like targeted the Lupine gang for some unknown reason. And they have to find a way to overcome him. It's honestly like it, it, it's, it's a trope in Lupine. I'll never get tired of. Cause I always find a really fun way to play with like those assassins. Cause like beauty with his bullets. I, I forget exactly what the deal with those were. They always find something fun to do with it. And like, it's just a great template for an episode. And now I'm just rambling. With, with <laughs> it's no okay. That's, uh, that's what I've been doing. <laughs> is, you, uh, you mentioned uh, Pycal's design. And I think it's interesting to compare how Pycal looks in the anime to his original appearance. Because uh, there is a distinct difference. I think because Pycal's in a white suit in the anime has become kind of like an iconic part of the character. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the manga, he didn't dress like that at all. Huh. Like I remember he was like wearing like an like a scarf or an ascot, and he kind of had like more of a, uh, I guess like a dandy look to him. And uh, also his one visible eye had like heavy bags underneath it. It made him look kind of, I guess like, I guess that's the whole thing, right? It's like he looks kind of like delicate, I suppose. But he's hmm. al- he also may be an actual magician which i always thought was kind of a cool contrast mm-hmm. and the uh, anime didn't really play that up quite as much well again it's that ambiguity of him does he really have magic is it just a right, trick yeah. like other magicians and the whole looking sensitivity thing he looks like a twink he's like a tiny twink man with emo hair that won't be in for another oh god i won't be in for another 40 years and you know <laughs> Even in like Return of Pycal, you see that he, what happened in this episode really did scar him. So you're very Literally. much like, holy shit, like, are you okay, my good sir? And, and <laughs> I, that's what that's what I find fascinating about him. I mean, I also like to point out that guests that we've had on the show, um, Lucy, she brought she had a um, Pycal descendant into the story. 
because hmm. Pi Cal was just so fascinating. And she's like, huh, what if Pi Cal had a son? And it was a pretty cool storyline. Not, not to toot. Nice. I'll continue tooting my best friend's horn all, all, all I can. But <laughs> this was this was years ago, and I can barely remember what I had for breakfast. <laughs> but that's how, but that's how fascinating Pycal is in the lexicon that is Lupin the Third. Indeed. Before we uh, finish up with this one, I feel like I should mention the ending of the manga story. Yes, please. Uh, because you know, just like in the anime, Lupin figures out that the slides have to be superimposed and uncover Pycal's formula. Which, in Tokyo Pop translation, they mentioned that the uh, that the chemical that Pi Cal came up with, it's uh, not waterproof. So when Pi Cal falls into Enma Falls, you know it gets washed off, which is why Lupin's able to set him on fire when he meets back up at the uh, cabin. But the uh, Seven Seas translation, as well as Part One, instead say that it wears off eventually. But anyway. So after a pie cow set on fire and escapes, presumably falling to his death, Lupin turns to the scientist that applied the uh, formula to him and says, by the way, Doc, you missed a spot. And we see that Lupin's crotch is all bandaged up. (laughs) (laughs) That's how that story ends. (laughs) Nice. Well... And Natalie, as you mentioned, the uh, the connection to uh, Pi Cal and Daniel the Wizard. So we're going to go from wizards to witches um, with the. <laughs> More witches. <laughs> she she must be a witch. She turned me into a newt. <laughs> what else votes for her? Churches. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get this one out of the way. It's mm-hmm. Farewell, My Beloved Witch, directed by Masaki Osumi and written by Kiyoshi Miyata. Emma, how did you feel about this one? Farewell, My Beloved Drew. <laughs> it's your <laughs> beloved witch. <laughs> uh, there are things I like about this one. First of all, like just the gut-wrenching reaction Lupin has in the helicopter when everything's going up in flames that always gets me I think that's Mm. like one of the strongest emotions that we see from him for quite a while uh in the series and not only do I love in the sub it's just like just like gut-wrenching and in the dub it's um equally as much so i was like wondering how tony oliver would portray that uh and i thought he did a really good job again mm. the goat i hope i hope you put that somewhere oh, yeah. here oh. we're talking about tony oliver <laughs> that's why he's the mvp <laughs> <laughs> It's his, it's his, it's his hat, Mr. Kratz. He is number one. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. I, I, I made a note too in in my notes that I don't have on me. Um, that 
especially in this one that I noticed because Lupin gets his hand very close to Fujiko and there's dialogue exchange there uh, that I really liked. Um, so I think she said like, be gentle and stuff. And there was a note that I wrote, I was like, okay, who decided to make Lupin this sexy? I'm amazed that killer and killers let you get on this island. <laughs> I pretended to help them. <laughs> be gentle. Because that would be my punch. Yeah, because like this episode and even the two before that, it's just very sensual. And I'm like, oh my god. And <laughs> good lord. I think I mentioned it to you, Drew. I was like, the dub performance, I was like, damn, I had a pause at times. <laughs> Which I felt weird because I had literally just met Tony Oliver like a week ago. <laughs> I was like, no, I can't do this. I can't do this. <laughs> but like that interaction between him and Fujiko in mm. that episode, like taking apart like Linda, it was like that uh, uh, like interaction between him and Fujiko was like one of my favorite things. Uh, it was done so well and like spoken so smoothly. Um, yeah, I just like the emotional feel to this one. Maybe like that would probably be my favorite part of it because like, like, just like what I mentioned previously. Otherwise, Linda, I it would have been interesting to see her in the future, but I'm not sure if she was as like intriguing as a character as say like Paikal or mm -hmm. other part one uh, side characters uh, or even like side women characters that you have in the future. I overall like this episode. That's really all I have on it. Nice. So, Natalie, how about mm -hmm. them witches? How about them witches? Them witches, man. So, yeah, this is the episode dubbed in Spanish. Uh, Adios, um, mi, lin mi bella flor, or goodbye, my beautiful flower. Which, beautiful, you know, beautiful context, beautiful title, especially in terms of the subject matter. Um, I agree with Emma in terms of the English dub that Tony Oliver just sounds so sensual in this. That's as much as I love it. I'm more of uh, I'm more of either Keith Silverstein, sexy Lupin or better yet, uh, Sunny Strait, sexy Lupin. And I'm not just saying that because not too long ago, I rewatched uh, Columbus Files and forgot how sexy uh, Sunny Strait could be as Lupin. <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, um, in terms of the episode with Linda, um, I think I've spoken. I won't get too much into detail about the story or the or the context of it, or let alone Linda herself, because I feel like I've touched upon my own points when I guested um, back in the podcast for those episodes at the <laughs> back when COVID started. Holy shit! Ooh. That was oh my lord. Them oh, times. Yeah. <laughs> Disneyland was closed. And it was going to be closed for a while. Anyways, um, what I can say about the dub, the dub was really well. I enjoyed um, the voice actress that, that was Linda. Also, in, in English, it, it's kind of funny and very random. But for the very random part that is, hey, Lupin, let's play tag. Huh? Okay. Um, <laughs> um, 
I do remember in the Spanish dub. Okay, so Linda, the name Linda or just Linda itself means or Linda means beautiful or gorgeous. Like tú eres muy linda. You're very beautiful. And they did do this in the Spanish dub of making this pun of. Pensé que no volvería a verte jamás, Linda. Lo sé. Uh. You know, like Linda, how beautiful. <laughs> it, it sounds, you nice. know, it, it vibes differently in Spanish. And also the voice actor for Evil Pirate Haddock Jigen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because both in English and in Spanish. Oh, Vanessa! Linda le está diciendo dónde están las flores. Seguro quiere llevarse al tercer sol. ¿Crees que lo lograrás, verdad, Vanessa? Oh, God, it worked so well. <laughs> and then, of course, we have um, Dr. Scientist Colonel Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dr. Colonel Sanders. Yeah, Dr. Colonel Sanders. <laughs> I was hoping, slightly hoping with the dub that we that they could have given him a Kentuckian accent. But Just obviously, my hopes, my hopes were squared. So do you think that the third son is one of those herbs and spices? <laughs> you know what? It's canon. I'm, I'm officially calling it canon. Yes. It's the 11 herbs and spices. <laughs> to quote the boondogs back in my day, we only had 12 herbs and spices. Or was it 11? <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> but... <laughs> But yeah, I don't have much to say on this episode because uh, I said what I wanted to say um, back in 2020. But other than that, the dubs were great. Um, I will say that the Spanish dub and the and the what do you call it? Um, the tone for the ending for the very sad ending definitely worked and almost had me crying not like ugly crying but like the one single manly tear stroll down <laughs> for linda <laughs> <laughs> or i think the joke is forrest whitaker i i don't know <laughs> i don't know these memes anymore <laughs> that gave that gave me forrest whitaker i um the english dub had a had a tone that was very it, it vibed differently it, it just um i don't know i felt something more for linda in the tone direction for spanish than i did in english or even in japanese which is hmm. which is astounding because it, it, it they already said that she go she go and die if she ain't gonna have this flower <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> she did <laughs> so yeah them them witches all right chris what have you to say of the witches or witch in this case i got nine nine problems but a witch ain't one (laughs) (laughs) emma just gave us the biggest eye roll i've haven't i've ever seen from her in like forever so the real question here is Am I going to piss off everybody with my opinion of this episode? Why did you bring back the magic eight ball? For fuck's sake. Most likely. Okay, so. <laughs> Where's aficionados Chris when you need him? <laughs> can so, I just say, can we get an updated uh, banner, Lauren, and just superimpose the magic eight ball with Chris? Because at this point, the magic eight ball is part of the cast. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, she drew me a Zenigata, so I can, maybe I could be having, like, you know, handcuffs to have, like, a magic eight ball on one side and the cuffs on the other. <laughs> but anyway. Um, Ball and chain. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> so, um, all right. So I first saw this episode when I was about 14 on a bootleg DVD. And I didn't like it. And I thought at the time maybe it was because I thought I didn't like it because of all, like, the mushy romance stuff. But watching it now as an adult, I realize I don't like it because it's just not that good. <laughs> Which, for one thing, is like, they say Linda's a witch, but they don't actually define what a witch is. Like, what is a witch in this context? I'm, I'm just assuming, like, back what Guillaume said in his informative and really good minisode of, it's probably just in connotation to the era and, like, how witches have a negative connotation, and so did hippies. Well, in the, in the English dub, uh, Dr. Uh, Sanders does say that the experiments... Made you know, turn her into a witch with superpowers. So yeah, but what superpowers? You know, I think we're lucky just to get that much. <laughs> Let's be honest. She has the power to turn to turn into the blob. <laughs> <laughs> Again, this one suffers from a lot of the issues. I think is Lupin Burning does in that the story is just kind of messy, full of holes. You know, we don't get a whole lot of uh, context or anything. I mean, I, I kind of like Linda, though. She doesn't have much characterization, but she is hot, so she's got that going for her. That is a plus. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, there are there are like a few moments of, of humor that I think work. My favorite being the evil laughter competition between Lupin yes. and Stern. <laughs> Especially since it ends with Lupin leaving the room, disguised as Stern, still laughing, as Nice Guy Lupin plays in the background. It's like, that's just perfect. It's... Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think I like the dub version of that scene better. Mm. It's like Lupin's mocking laugh at, you know, imitating Stern. I think it's, it's great in the uh, dub. Again, Tony Oliver, man. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> I also think Epcarp was really great in this. <laughs> like, um, what was that one line I really like? Oh, yeah, uh, Lupin and Linda are being, like, real flirty towards each other, and Jigen is just like, I'm a sucker for your pretty scent. It turns me on. Lupin. Yeah. Hey, can you two knock it off? I've got a question. <laughs> it's, it's great. It felt very part two to me. I, I, I really really dug that. I also got to agree with Michelle Ruff, you know, being great in this. Uh, one bit that I think uh, Drew pointed out to me is when Lupin goes to introduce Jigen to Linda, and realizes she's not there, and the music just suddenly cuts off. <laughs> Let me introduce you. This lovely girl is... Huh? Where Where did she suddenly take off to? Are you trying to pull my friggin' leg? <laughs> it's great. <laughs> right? And, like, I feel like a lot of the times, with part, especially this, uh, with the dub, I realize that part one is a lot quieter than I remember. Mm. I don't know if just because... You know, I'm listening to it in my native tongue, and I didn't notice it in Japanese. But so I noticed that a lot of times there'll be scenes with no background audio at all, which feels weird. But I think in this case, it, it worked out really well. It just mm-hmm. made the joke that much funnier. I also like Jigen referring to the uh, killers and killers as both the hitmen of the scene 
and also uh, Bad Hombres. Like, you know, that wasn't in the uh, Japanese either, and I thought that was a nice touch. You know, you, sorry, you mentioned the Killers of the Sea, and it's funny because I had the jingle of um, of um, Chunk Like Tuna, Killers of go. the Sea, <laughs> instead of for it. Chicken of the Sea. <laughs> ask any mermaid you happen to see who are the best killers killers in the sea (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i'm sorry you know and fuchiko and fuchiko was a mermaid in the previous episode that is true (laughs) during lupin's uh you know unconscious dreaming but (laughs) yeah i'm just i'm not i'm not a big fan of the episode um it's got its moments and i know it's supposed to be sad but the fact that Dr. Colonel Sanders is such a perfect shot when killing Linda, I don't know why, but that's, that's funny to me. Because, like, they're in a plane. This whole field's on fire. He pulls out this gun and, you know, shoots her. You know, he hits exactly what he was aiming for. He, you know? he really busts, He really knew how to bust that cap, that's for sure. Right? <laughs> but, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> this is what happens when I'm tired. I'm just unironic. I'm just unironically funny. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I don't think there's a whole lot to say that I say this after I've said a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's it's a lot like how I feel about the first episode. It's not a fan of it as a whole, but it's got its moments. I'll probably echo like a similar sentiment. It's not one of my favorite part one episodes but i do think i like it more than um uh, is lupon burning i think at this point anything is better than is lupon burning yeah and <laughs> also like you know what i'll take i will take 50 farewell my beloved witches before i even watch one more episode of the sherlock arc of part six ever again I'm going to continuously beat the shit out of that arc because i don't like it and pro and my beloved witches <laughs> like has so much more depth and like emotion <laughs> than <laughs> anything in that arc. But anyway, yeah, like it is kind of wonky. It's not quite as wonky as, um, is Lupin burning for me. Cause like there are weird moments. Cause like that bit in the beginning, like there's that really kind of fun moment where like fun, but also like Fujiko, what are you doing? That bit where she like takes his gun and is like pointing at his head. And he's like, Hey, that's not a toy. But yeah, it's still kind of flirty. But then the moment they see another boat approaching them, she just hops on the front of the boat and just <laughs> shoots this innocent person and makes them wipe out. And I'm just like, wait a minute. What? What's going on here? Fujiko, why do you do that? And we never get an explanation. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, well, we kind of do. And that she mentions that she's working for Killers and Killers. Yeah. But... But there's no really indication that she was at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I'm sorry to keep, sorry to keep interrupting you, but did you catch the animation error shortly after that? Ooh, there's Which a lot. There's like a good. There's like a handful of animation errors in this episode. The, the one that really caught my eye is when uh, you know Lupin takes off his jacket and jumps out of the boat. He is somehow still inside the boat, but the uh, the glass, you know, the windshield is behind him. Oh. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> yeah, it's, nice. It's like I, I don't think it's that translucent. <laughs> but yeah. But also, there's the there's the playback error with um the scene between Lupin and Fujiko. Like 
I could point out some of the other errors, but I'm not gonna. Um, but yeah. this is just, I mean, this is just indicative of how, like, this is this is early on. This was, you know, the, the animators weren't on par for the first couple episodes, and then it started to become crisp and clean. Well, and then there's also the bit where uh, Lupin's jacket keeps uh, flashing between two different shades of green. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As Jean and I was going out to the plane. That one's always stuck out with me because it's fairly obvious, but... Yeah, the windshield thing, I didn't notice that until today. But no, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like, I hate to bring this back to the Sherlock arc, but after the Sherlock arc, like, watching that recently, like, episodes of part one I were harsher on, I revisit, and I'm like, oh, you know what? I think I was a little too hard on you. <laughs> or kind of like, you know what? For what my beloved wishes, it's pretty good. Like, it's not great, but... um, Drew has a whole outlook on life now. A whole different outlook. <laughs> I'm a changed man now. Yeah. Like three whole ass ghosts in one night, and they came in like the form of an art. <laughs> I was like, the ghost of Lupin. <laughs> <laughs> Those three ghosts were uh, Sherlock. Um, I've already forgot that kid's name and Lestrade. <laughs> it's just the three of them. Oh, it was yeah. Yeah. Goes to show how memorable that can. Anyway, um, <laughs> but I, I do like Emma that you mentioned like like this is the first one where we get like Lupin being genuinely emotional, which like I I didn't like actually think that much about it. But you're right, like like we we get a fast of his personality we haven't seen in the previous two this early on, which is like really fascinating and like yep, I kind of dig that. Poor Linda. It, it's I like it is a genuinely sad moment, but I can't help but laugh at the framing because there's the bit where like they spritz gasoline all over the uh, the third mm-hmm. sunflowers. They light it on fire. It's cool and triumphant. And then they look and it is there's just that shot of Linda just looking up at the plane. Just like it's that future on the line. It's like, Mr. President, what the hell? <laughs> it's like, hey, <laughs> it's like, well, gee. Oh, shit. We forgot Linda. Yeah. And then Linda just looks at that and it's very much like seeing the, seeing the killing fields of Cambodia. Like, well, now I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'll just die. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's, like, it's like they're up there in the plane. And they're like, well, it's like, all right, see, we got the doctor. We got the, uh, see, see, we got the doctor. We got the flowers. We got, it feels like we're missing something. Oh, and then shit, Linda's oh. back there all sad. The, the basketball, like, I, I almost picture an edit of that shot where she's surrounded by flames just looking up and just have a text bubble that says, you know, this is fine. <laughs> I, I need to put that in my office next to my uh, dumpster fire with the dog. This is fine. <laughs> but yeah, like the whole witch thing's weird, but like like Guillaume's episode pointed out, like, you know, there's some parallels to draw to like what they may have been getting at. Like, you know, I get the intention. Mm-hmm. It's just... You pick the wrong word, but hey, it's fine. Yeah, and um, is there... I'm sorry, but can you give me a refresher on this, Chris, if there is a manga episode based uh, that is, could be the basis for this episode? There's two, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one that in the uh, in Tokyo Pops edition was called Flowers for Fujiko. Mm-hmm. That one did feature uh, Dr. Colonel Sanders. Um, <laughs> Linda I love how we're just going to call him that. Yeah, I can't remember the dude's name. And also, I'm from Kentucky. I mean, what else am I going to call him? But, yeah, yeah, Linda did not appear in the manga. She was created for the anime. 
there was this whole thing with, uh, you know, again, with, with the third sunflowers. I take back there was three because the scene with uh, Lupin and Fujiko, I don't know, engaging in foreplay in order to draw out assassins, that comes from a, a, a manga story, but in a much different context. And the whole bit with the warhead at the end mm-hmm. is is from a story as well. It pretty much goes the same way. It's like, you know, Fujiko says that, you know, it'd be better for Lupin to take it, take the warhead by himself. She leaves, it launches, then it goes right back down. Turns out she's still there. But <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, there's like two or three chapters that, that it draws from. But I feel like for the most part, the story is pretty original. Mm-hmm. That, that's another aspect of it. Like I, I actually do like find the stuff like what little there is with Lupin and Linda like kind of captivating. But like the killer and killers thing. I don't know, like, I'm not going to say it feels a little convoluted, but it does kind of feel kind of cobbled, like, in there. Especially the warhead at the end, it kind of feels like a fourth act, when the episode already kind of feels like it's reached a conclusion. And they're like, oh yeah, the warhead, and you're like, oh, oh, warhead. But that being said, I'm glad that scene exists, because I laughed out loud, because I've never, like, thought about this before. Unless I did mention it two years ago and just completely forgot it, which that that maybe is a possibility. But, like, I love just the comedic timing of like, there's this emotional scene with Lupin and Fujiko where he's like, you know, like, you know, like, you know, only one can come on. And like, you know, he's like, oh, you know, she's so thoughtful. And the rocket takes off and successfully goes up. He's there by himself. And then like, Fujiko is like, hey, and he's like, there's only room for one. And like, it's almost like when he notices she's in there, that's when the rocket takes the downturn. Because, like, she's been in there the whole time. But, like, when he's like, wait a minute, and the rocket's like, oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's sort of like that Looney Tunes thing. It's like they don't fall until they look down and realize that they're in midair. Exactly. They're like, oh, wait a minute. The rocket realizes she's there, too. Hey, don't rocket teach right. Hey. But, like, yeah, like, it's, it, it, it's kind of a wonky episode, but it's not my favorite. But there is, like, interesting stuff in there that, like, I think kind of keeps it afloat. The band that's the band, the band, the band, the band, the band that's But I think that pretty much wraps up that episode. And now for our last episode of the night, we will. Uh, be talking about One Chance for a Prison Break, uh, directed by Masaki Osumi and written by Toru Sawaki. Emma, was this prison break successful? Yes. Nice. <laughs> like Chris said, it is the, it is the best uh, one that we've talked about tonight. It's probably, in my opinion, the best one in part one. Uh, mm. It's the first one that I watched in part one. Because that was what was introduced to me. <laughs> it's like, hey, don't watch this one. Watch this one instead. So I, I've i always really much enjoyed this episode. Um, you know, Zenigata is my favorite of the five main characters. And he's a fucker in this. He like, is. I've always, like, I've always hated him when he kicks Lupin in. I'm like, you little bastard. <laughs> <laughs> you're such a dick um but i i just love all like the characters have like their own little like sequences to it, it it's just 
it, it's everything that you would want out of a Lupin episode. Uh, it's fun. It's uh, goofy, but it's also like pretty. It can be intense at times too. Mm. Um, and the dubbing on it was just fantastic. But I, I've said it so many times. Doug Earholtz just it's incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this just gets better and better and better. And we've already established Tony <laughs> several times on this. But I'm not Lupin! What? Why does he keep shouting that he's not Lupin? It's been almost six months. Why doesn't he try to escape? Because it's impossible. This is a supermax prison. Only way out of here is in a box. Imbecile! You don't know Lupin at all. Tell him something's impossible and it just makes him more determined to do it. He can't resist the challenge. He's drawn to it like a moth to a flame. He was burning. Those are my general feelings about it. I love this episode. Yeah, I stick by it. Uh, One of the best episodes, part one, if not the best. Mm -hmm. Natalie, how about you? How are you feeling about this, this one chance for a prison break? I get it's one of the greatest episodes of part one. I will agree that it's just not an episode I I like to watch. And it's not because I don't like it or anything. It's just, again, part one. However, however I did like, I did like, um, well, I will say that I like the same concept when it was redone in part four. I think mm. I enjoyed it more because there was more of a comedic angle with it. Whereas this one, I think part of, I, I will say that part of the reason why I don't like it is because uh, Zenigata is an asshole in this. <laughs> At least in the beginning, he's not the Zenigata I know and love. Um, he's very much the A-cab Zenigata that we get in like Woman Called Fujiko Mine. But it was done tastefully, I will say, in Woman Called Fujiko Mine. And of course, in the Koike films. Um but also, I do enjoy the existential dread that comes mm. with um, this episode because I've mentioned it in the starter kit that, like, part five, try to make fetch happen with the constant what am I to you between um, Lupin and the other characters and, like, what is their relationship dynamic? Can we get something settled, please? But this episode does, this episode describes it without the need to explain it. It's very simple. Uh, Zenigata's motivation in life is to constantly chase Lupin. If he does chase Lupin and put him in prison, the the, the purpose in his life is ultimately gone and he has to find a new purpose. And also we get, we get other comedic moments. We get some comedic moments in this. We get Lupin. I love how like the, um, the describing, you know, the, the preview of the episode from episode three is just him naked <laughs> as he's explaining the plot of the episode. And also of course the, the, the sharp ass fingernail, the dub was pretty interesting. Um, I do love Doug Erholtz, but um, it would have been nice to hear um, uh, Dan Lorger in with Zenigata in this kind of mode, but that's a story for another time. In Spanish, um, so in Spanish, Lupin goes by kind of like, you know, yes and no, there's Arsene Lupin. In the Spanish dub, it's Aramis Lupin. So it rarely goes to Lupin. It's just Aramis. And Zenigata's name in Latino Spanish is uh, Zuniga. Not Zenigata, Zuniga. 
wait till we get to the other characters because Fujiko is Vanessa, Jigen is Julian, which kind of makes sense, and then you get Goemon who is Ramon. Sounds like sounds like the protagonist in the Mexican soap opera, but <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Ramon. Did you bring that dead skin? Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Cries in Spanish. Dies in Spanish. Otra vez corté algo de no significante. (laughs) That was badly (laughs) translated, but, um, and that's not what he actually says. However, um, the Spanish dub of this, um, I don't know, didn't it doesn't hit as well as the original Japanese. English dub kind of hits it, but again, I, I would have preferred to have heard Dan Lorger doing this kind of um, this kind of Zenigata, but alas, mm, that's it for me. Again, this is not really one of the episodes I like. I preferred it when it was in part four. <laughs> All right, so Chris, how's them prisons breaking? <laughs> that makes any sense? Um, well, to sell the truth, nah, it doesn't work. Hold on. Oh. <laughs> uh. You know, I'll, I'll come with the wisecrack later. Anyway, yeah, like I said, this is one of my favorite episodes of part one. It's the best episode we discussed tonight. I appreciate how faithful it is to the manga version of the story. In that, there's really only one big change. It's not even a big change. It's just, there's only one thing removed from the manga version for this episode. But in exchange, it added so much more, I thought. Like, Jigen and Fujiko's whole deal in this, I thought was great. A great addition. Because this was the second chapter of the manga, period. So you only had two characters at that point anyway. We pun as any Although the uh, the heist at the beginning at the dam was taken from a uh, a, a different chapter of the manga a little bit later. But anyway, yeah. Um, the only thing that was really removed was a, uh, a sex scene with a uh, beautiful female guard. And then it turns out it was all in Lupin's head anyway. Because the priest says... Though your body is in shackles, your mind is free to imagine women. That is the nature of the soul. That's the nature of soul music, you old coot. Anyway, um, but yeah, the uh, yeah, again, the relationships between uh, Lupin's, Jigen, Fujiko, Zenigata, you know, this is where all that gets firmly established. That's um, why I say it's a, it's the best episode to start with for episode one, or for part one, because you get a real sense of who these characters are and what they mean to each other. Mm-hmm. It also does that Osumi thing where we have a, a running gag that gets more and more elaborate. In this case being uh, Fujiko's attempts to break in as well as the priest's mode of transportation, which I thought those were both, uh, you know, cute bits. <laughs> and I gotta say, I'm all right. Look, I had nothing against uh, Doug Erholtz. Although he is not my favorite English Zenigata, but I think he does a terrific job here. Hmm. I mean, it's like this is probably the best his Zenigata's been is in this episode. I, I, I really enjoy the performance. That's a great episode. I love it. Always have. Yeah, going to agree with everyone here. Like, this is easily like my favorite episode uh, that we watched so far. And it it's up there for part one. It might be my number one favorite just because like in the span of 24 minutes, like you mentioned, Chris, you get everything you need to know about like the three well, the four main like relationships between like, like 
that's like a lot to juggle that they sur- surprisingly do well in, in in 24 minutes is like you 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 get the dynamic between Lupin and Fujiko with Fujiko constantly trying to break him out and she's saying it's for the key but then you get that literally like kind of kind of lovely but very sad moment at the end where she like just straight up reveals that it wasn't just the key at all oh Lupin I can't believe you're really gone I know I always teased you I know I said all I cared about was the treasure in that chest but that was a lie. The only thing I treasured was you. It, like, like it's specifically it's her also feelings. Kind of suggested in the way she's stroking that wall there, but I can't hear her there. Yes, yes, indeed. And you get like the the trusting relationship that Jigen has, where he's like, you know, he'll do it in his own time. But then when it gets down to the wire, in this moment, like I don't know why, specific on this episode, this moment like really got to me, where he like disguises himself as the priest. But, like, he shows up and he's, like, so genuinely concerned for me. He tries to give him his gun. And he's like, no, like, I don't want it. And he's just, like, you know, gives him one last smoke. And there's that bit where they just exchange glances at each other. And you get the close-up of their eyes. Oh, that's kind of funny because Jigen's in disguise and it's just big eyebrows just, like, (laughs) hanging over. But, like, you still get the sentiment of, like, them, like, sharing one last glance together. And Jigen's got that smirk where he's like, I know he's going to get out. Just that little bit where he like kind of comes to plead to him, and like that got to me on this one, especially like the performance Epcar gives in that moment. Here, come on, Lupin. Have you lost it for real? I haven't lost anything. I'm playing a game. It's called Death or Jailbreak. It's great fun. The stakes are high, but there's no room for error. You have lost it, Lupin. You're gonna die. No, I won't. That's absurd. You're helpless in here without a gun. No. Win, lose, or draw, I'm going to play this game my way. <sighs> Stubborn idiot. But if that's what you want, okay. Like, 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 he's got some real emotion behind it there, and it was just really nice. And specifically, the relationship between Zinagata and Lupin. And I'll also agree that this is maybe my favorite Doug Erholtz performance. Because, like, he adds some inflections in here that, like, I, I didn't catch the thing. I don't speak Japanese, but I didn't quite catch like in the Japanese, like bits where his voice kind of wavers at moments where he's kind of breaking that. I think he does really beautifully. And uh, also like he does have a, uh, in the script in his performance, there is, did you catch the little nod to Dan Lorge's Nagata? There's one bit where he like slams a table and says, Good I just nice. like that. It's it's such a nice little callback, but just that relationship of like, yeah, like Zinnigod is like a prick in the beginning of this one. Like he kicks him in the cell. He's like a smug jerk about it, which is not the Zinnigod that we know. But then again, like kind of what I love about the first episodes of part one is that like the, the characters like aren't fully solidified yet. And like, like, like the characters aren't quite like the archetypes we eventually like come to know and love because the characters always kind of change depending on the adaptation. But there is like a core take that you usually think of, and it's not quite there yet, which I find is really fascinating. Well, see, I think this episode is where those archetypes do become formed. Hmm. That, that that's a good point. That, yeah, like especially with with Fujiko and Jigen in particular. And Zinagata. Yeah. Like, Zinagata's just a little bit more of a prick than we're used to, which is like a interesting little quirk. 
Yeah. Well, what what I was going to mention that I forgot to mention is, yeah, the dynamics are are shown. And again, it does a perfect example of showing the relationships without overtly explaining it. Mm-hmm. And and that's why it's a really good episode and why I can see why y'all recommended it for um the starter kit for a starter kit. But um yeah, you see Fujiko trying to get him out, Jigen ever so loyal, and ultimately Zenigata whose life practically ends with, you know, having no purpose because his purpose has been completed. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of depressing when you think about it. Oh, but. yeah. <laughs> like, this, this episode, and again, like, a lot of this o- Osumi have, like, th- there will be episodes that have just this air of sadness to them in places, which mm-hmm. is really fascinating. And kind of why the Osumi episodes are ultimately my favorites of part one, just because there's, mm-hmm. like, they, they, some of them may be a little clunky, but there's really interesting stuff in there that, like, is there in the Miyazaki ones? I'm not, I don't want to discredit those at all because there is interesting stuff, but in a different way in those. Well, it almost feels like Asumi kind of adds a little bit more stakes to it. Not saying that Miyazaki doesn't, but the stakes feel a little bit more real and there's depth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, very personal. And yes, it's very personal. That was the word I was looking for. And it, and I feel like it wasn't hit again. Like the the perfect reminder of it for me is definitely when they brought him back for the series 30 something years later. 25 something years later my math is off with um uh, voyage to danger mm-hmm. and voyage to danger had that that very formulaic osumi storytelling where mm-hmm. if there's an air of sadness to it there's depth and it's very personal particularly not just with um you know particularly with karen's story the the um nuclear scientist but also to a lesser extent um the 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 semi villain which was Keith the guy who mm-hmm. was like literally oh I'll bring in Lupin he just won't be alive <laughs> mm-hmm. so well you got a good point uh, Voice of Danger does have like a lot of depth both in terms of characters and the leagues under the sea in which they travel oh lord so should we just call it Lupin's twenty thousand leagues under the sea <laughs> hey why not. <laughs> it's all emma like winding up <laughs> that movie rules by the way um I, yeah, I love captain, that. captain nemo was like one of my first crushes ever i think i was like four or five heck yeah it says a lot of it does say a lot about me too <laughs> well I'm, I've always been a Jules Verne, Jules Verne fan, and Disney's Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea is a great film. Also, as a big Haunted Mansion junkie, I have to say that the here's some trivia: the organ that was in that film is actually um, the organ ghost's organ inside Haunted Mansion. Ah, cool. Yeah, so I, I, I kind of have a Leo DiCaprio moment when I'm. <laughs> in haunted mansion <laughs> just like I, re- I remember that i remember that <laughs> uh, but yeah i'm trying to think of anything else to say that hasn't already been said I, I i also like how this episode has the first instance of i want to say my favorite because there's a lot of favorites i have but it's one of my favorite character quirks of zinagata it's specifically like it's the day of his execution where he's like man it's like oh what a shame and then the guy's like what and he's like uh you know uh <laughs> insert line here but also specifically the moment when someone's like, Lupin's escaped, and he immediately jumps out of his chair gleefully and like runs. It's like, yes, he finally did. Like, this man's been waiting a whole year for this to happen. 
Mm-hmm. And like in, anytime that like that trope appears in Lupin, it makes me so happy. It's that it's the reluctant team up between them. Uh, the existential crisis, whenever he does capture him, like this episode kind of like sets up beautiful traits of Zinagata and why he is one of like the best characters in the whole show. Oh yeah. I will capture Lupin if it's the last thing I do. No, wait, don't go. Um, bye. <laughs> Ra- wrapping it up here, but like, I, I, I also think, I, honestly, I'll say, I also think this is maybe the most like well-directed episode out of all the ones we've seen so far. Like I love specifically the way the opening is directed. Like it immediately sets a tone and atmosphere. Like the, the dialogue's quick and short. Like, you know, Lupin puts, you know, the, uh, what is it? He puts like the shoe polish over his face for the camouflage. Jigen like opens the curtains. He's like, you know, it's time. Let's go. And like, you get that really great scene where they're like, they're going to get the chest and it's kind of lit by that kind of like gross, like kind of greenish yellow light that they're just drenched in which adds this kind of grimy atmosphere to it. And then you get the big spotlights behind Zinagata where he's backlit. It's just such an interesting looking episode visually. And you get like, you know, the, uh, the car ride in the rain with Fujiko behind. And a bazooka that comes out of nowhere. <laughs> Once again. <laughs> um, Maybe they recovered it from the Paikau crime scene. You know, that's, that's actually a good possibility. That's canon now. Um, Okay, but I, I actually like listened back to our uh, our review of that episode. Um, uh, I forgot when I listened back to, it, but I think Chris, you mentioned how like really wonderfully the passage of time is like shown. It's, there's no attention's drawn to it, but you just see the seasons and like all those shots when like yeah. you know, the priest is coming and Fujiko tries to break in. You know, you get it's fall and it's winter and you get summer. And it's 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 just really subtle details that just kind of. Even though it's 24 minutes, like you feel the weight of that time oh, yeah. in it. And didn't I also mention uh, the uh, symbolism with the butterfly during uh, yes. spring? Uh, I, yeah, I believe you did in that episode. Yeah, because I believe in, in Japan, uh, the butterfly symbolizes death and rebirth, mm-hmm. which is why it shows up at the end of Super Mario Galaxy. However, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> I, uh, I also can't have it be charmed by the ending of the episode. Oh yes, with, uh, I thought to bring that up. Actually, yeah, with the fact, nice. Uh, the fact that the, for one thing, the loop gets destroyed, and <laughs> no matter which version of it is, I love the fact that Jigen was like, "There was a forest here a year ago," <laughs> but you know, and I appreciate the fact that neither Lupin nor Jigen are really all that bothered by it. Nope. It was just it's just like oh well, easy come, easy go. And you know, the Lupin returns a favor, gives Jigen a cigarette, cracks a joke. Calling back to what Jigen said in Skies as a Priest, and the two of them just mm-hmm. run off together laughing hysterically. Which I feel like we've all done that with best friends before. Just, you know, just, just lose your shit laughing over something in- insignificant and just, just walk away. It's, yep. it's beautiful. The real treasure was friendship. Exactly. <laughs> and th- th- that also sets up a really fun aspect of Lupin's character where, like, you know, like, obviously, he likes treasure. He likes loop. Like, it's not like it's usually not about the treasure itself. It, 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 it's the chase. It's uh, and also like it, I know it comes before. It's specifically that little monologue he gives at the end where it's like this whole thing was just so Zenigata could be just as embarrassed as he was when he like slipped up and yep. was caught. Like, you know, like 
like at that point, like, you know, the loot's irrelevant. It is. Let's pull one over on this prick, which is right. it's such a fun little detail. Yeah, great little character beat. I think it's interesting to point out that, uh, you know, of course, this is adapted from a manga story, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And if you read those er- those very early Lupin the Third chapters, they feel like uh, modernized parodies of Arsene Lupin. Mm-hmm. And I think this chapter and episode in particular, because uh, one of the early Arsene Lupin stories, I think probably the second one as well, was called Arsene Lupin in Prison. And I think the part four episode actually uh, takes four cues from it. But yeah, Lupin's grandfather, he escaped from prison in kind of a similar way, mm-hmm. you know, by use of disguise and all this. And you know, he was in there for quite a while as well. So I thought it was kind of neat how Monkey Punch was like, you know, spoofing a specific story with this, which I, mm-hmm. I really liked. Also, Arsene Lupin in, in prison is hilarious. Especially how he he escapes from like I don't know if you guys have ever read it, but Arsene Lupin escapes, I think, while on the prison bus, walks to a cafe, orders lunch, and then walks back to the prison and has to be let in. It's awesome. Nice. Which is something I could totally see his grandson doing. We, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. Um this is a, this is very much, you know, a play on Maurice Leblanc's uh, Lupin, Arsene Lupin in jail, in prison, whatever you want to call it. But again, uh, the part four episode does it more, I think. It's more of a direct yeah. reference. I, again, I loved, I loved it in the part four episode. Yes. My mom loved it. And she, th- and she thought, oh, my poor, my poor sweet summer child mother. She thought it was all, you know, like, she goes to the next episode. I thought Lupin was in prison. And I'm like, oh, my God, mother. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't been paying attention, mother. Hold on, Natalie. What's that you're holding? Hey. I was bringing it. I was bringing it out for context because I was going to pull up the chapter. <laughs> the illustrations are beautiful. You know, Oops. as as all of our listeners can see, Natalie is holding up a uh, recent hardcover collection of Arsene Lupin stories by Maurice LeBlanc. Yeah, um, illust- illustrated by Vincent Mali. If you are very much into French literature. And or want to know the origin of Arsene Lupin, I of Lupin the Third through literary reference. I definitely recommend it. The art is beautiful. It's very childlike. I just recommend reading Arsene Lupin, and I should do a mini-sode on Maurice Leblanc and Arsene Lupin when I have more free time. Is that book in French or is it translated? In English? It's in English. I actually do have. Um, I'm so weird. I um I speak. I can understand and read a little bit of French, but I don't speak it very well. Um, I am learning. However, um, a lot of my favorite French novels, I do have copies of them in French, including um, The Adventures of Arsene Lupin. Believe it or not, in the same cover that is in um, the Netflix Lupin series. And it has pictures from the production of the Netflix Lupin series, which I also recommend because it's really well done. Yeah, uh, that series is awesome. I can't wait mm-hmm. for it. I gotta check it out. They have him driving away in a Fiat in the recent finale while hey. Jacques de Tronc's, yeah, while Jacques de Tronc's um, in, um, theme song from the 70s um, Arsene Lupin show with the song legit calling Gentleman Cambriol. <laughs> C'est le plus grand des voleurs. 
gentleman Il s'empare de vos valeurs Sans vous menacer d'une âme Quand il détrousse une femme Il lui fait porter des fleurs Song. <laughs> nice. The only Arsene Lupin book I have is uh, Arsene Lupin, Gentleman Thief, which is a mm -hmm. compilation by, uh, I want to say, Pe uh, Penguin Publishing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of a best of collection. I, I like it. It's very interesting because a lot of the English translations here in America didn't come out until much, like 10, 15 years ago, yeah. which I think is kind of sad. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, the book I have actually. Uh, refers to Sherlock Holmes by name. They don't call him Herlock Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. Well, yeah, because or, uh, now... Sherlock um, Shears. <laughs> well, Sherlock Holmes is now in the public domain, as is right, right. Um, and so Arsene Lupin. Lupin. Yeah. yeah. Which, man, I love that story. Mm -hmm. It's like Holmes is on top of everything until he realizes that Lupin stole his watch. The hollow and, needle. And then, haven't read that one yet. It's not, it's not in the compilation I have. Yeah, that's the one I love, The Hollow Needle. I'll check it out. All right, so okay, I okay, look, that this, about... This tangent is, is somewhat related, all right? <laughs> yeah, it is, because, you know... Of course, this is... always. Sorry. I'm not. <laughs> well, do we end it here now, Drew? Drew Meister? I, I believe so, since we're now... Um, uh, it'll be edited down, but since we're now two and a half hours into recording, I think, you know, our original concept was we were going to cover all uh, nine episodes in the pilot film in one episode, and maybe that's not a good idea. <laughs> so I believe... Yeah, no, thanks, thanks for breaking it up. We've got too much stuff to say. That's a problem. So when you hear us again, we will be back soon uh, going over episodes five through nine of part one, to which then we will be all caught up and we'll be back on track to review part one on an episode-by-episode episode basis and uh it'll be interesting when we uh when we jump on we're going to be introduced to uh two gentlemen who will be uh very influential on the franchise moving forward but we'll save that for next time um and of course is, after is one of them that dude who created that studio that disney now owns kind of kind of not anymore like g kids has the rights thank god which means the blu-rays yeah. aren't 35 goddamn dollars anymore again i was unironically trying to be funny but <laughs> <laughs> but yes it might be it very well may be said gentlemen we'll have to see uh i'll be honest with you when you said two gentlemen who are very influential in the franchise going forward i was thinking okay one's goemon who's the hell the other one Am I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought we were talking like Lee, <laughs> like a <Lupin> <laughs> I was like, all, Lee, all good answers. <laughs> so, until then, uh, Emma, where can we find you on the webs? Well, <laughs> if Twitter survives, <laughs> you can find me mostly on Twitter. That I found out, I tried doing that, like find me on other socials posts, but I was like. Fuck. <laughs> 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 um, you can find me on Twitter while it lives uh, at Emma Wolf 
227, E-M-M-A-W-O-L-F-E 227. Uh, right now, it is my endless stream of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> chaos reigns. Yeah, at the current moment, it's just... Um, like, I feel like everyone's just tweeting out, like, their deepest, darkest secrets right now, and I'm all here for it. Uh, hey, you don't have to bring up attention to the fact that I have three dead bodies under my bed, but thank you, Emma. You're welcome. You should do something about that. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at emwolfwolfe227. Post a lot of cosplay on there. Um, those are the only two I'm going to advertise right now. I've posted on my Twitter, uh, other socials you can find me on. Um, still debating on going back to a couple of them. Yeah, uh, that's really where you can find me. Natalie, where can we find you? Well, the sentiment around Twitter is that Twitter is dying. And as someone who lives in Silicon Valley, I'm all here for it. I do feel bad for the people who are losing their jobs, but uh, y'all kind of created the problem. I'm sorry. And yeah, I'm going to, I'm, I'm just, I'm ticked, but if it still survives this um, purge, you can still find me on there. I'm still reposting silly stuff. Captain Lee Helsing, Cap Lee Helsing, C-A-P-L-I-H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G. Um, you can find me on Instagram, which I will be posting more of. I recently went to go see La Traviata at SF Opera. So if you're if you ever want to see those, I'll post it on there at Captain C-A-P-T-A-I-N-L-I-H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G. And I guess I'm back on Tumblr. So Captain Lee Helsing, Captain spelled out, blogs on Tumblr. I guess I'm back there. I guess all of us are coming back there. That's the uh, one I'm still debating. It's amazing that it was still active, and the three posts I ever posted on there is still are still on there. Um, I need to clean that shit up. <laughs> Chris, where can we find you? Oh boy, okay. I've got a lot of shit going on right now, but it's all good shit. You know, like everybody else, I'm on, I'm on Twitter, but unlike everybody else, I'm on there at Doctor Furball, D R F U R B A L L. Um, I'm several other places, Instagram, Newgrounds, probably Tumblr as well, maybe, at Amazing Chris Godby, G-O-D-B-E-Y. And I guess the big one for me, I am a, uh, I'm going to try to arrange these in the orders of least big to most big. I'm currently doing a uh, a project where I play through all of the Super Mario games in order. That's at Super Mario 4 Eva at blogspot.com. Nice. I, uh, I'm a cartoonist. I have two web comics, one of which is Draw O Coward at drawocoward.com. And the which other is one a is a palindrome. Yep. <laughs> and uh, the big one, though, is uh, Weird in a Can, weirdinacan.com. And I've recently released my first book compiling the first five years of the comic, which I highly recommend that you guys buy because I can use the money. Anyway, <laughs> Drew. Where can we find you? Well, Twitter does seem to be imploding at the moment. And as uh, far as the current uh, CEO of Twitter goes at the moment, I would like to... Uh, uh, I'm going to uh, censor that. Uh, <laughs> so, 
Are you just going to put the big ass beep? Yes, I am. And then the audience will just have to figure it out. Do it. Do it. Do it. You know, that yeah. I have to figure out how I feel about uh, the current CEO of Twitter. But like, while it does deserve to burn, I honestly hope it doesn't because I've met a lot of really beautiful, wonderful people, like many of which are sitting here right now with me over Twitter. And I would like to not lose that because I meet cool people all the time on there, even though it is a bit of a hellscape. There are really nice pockets of it. And is uh It wasn't a hell site, it was a hell home. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So hopefully, you know, we find Elon Musk and we can move on with our lives peacefully on Twitter. Um, also censoring that. Uh but anyway, you can find me on said hell home at Drew Hunter 15. That's D R E W H U N T E R 1 5. And uh, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Lupin Pod. That's L U P I N P O D. You can find us on Instagram at the same at. And I'm also in the process of working on a Tumblr account for the podcast that will be revealed at a later date. Uh, you can find our Tumblr, podcast on Tumblr. <laughs> on a soundcloud spotify and apple Podcasts. if you're listening on spotify and apple Podcasts, either scroll up or scroll down um, uh, on spotify it's like near the top uh apple Podcasts at the bottom uh, give us a good old star rating or maybe in a review if you're feeling up to it five stars would be nice but we won't hold you to it and i guess with that we'll see you next time we pontic folks as we further journey into the original green jacket adventure so see ya the o the og the og <laughs> the original green <laughs> the original green good the night OGL3. bye like, that wasn't deep enough <laughs> bye <laughs> <laughs> ワルサピ38この手の中に抱かれたものはすべて消えゆく定め